Hello and welcome to Ghost to Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Expert Audio Network. I am your co-host Neve, and I'm joined as always by your other co-host Connor. Hey. And uh, today we are finishing out our discussion of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans. So episodes forty through fifty, or forty-five through fifty, um, or twenty through twenty-five of the second season. Um, so we we made it to the end. Yeah, uh, we did. And it's do you, uh, you want to do a, like initial your initial impressions, or do you want to do the guess about the the thing that I knew? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'll do my guess. Uh, okay. I just, by the way, I, I just want to say when we did our introductions a second ago, yeah, I, I wanted to do like you know that the silent head nod, yeah. Uh, but then I realized that doesn't work on the podcast. Yeah. So I just said, what I, silent head nod? People might ask. Listen to the post TV <laughs> section. <laughs> you know, everyone knows the silent head nod. Yeah, uh, or most people, I would expect at least. Um, um, so yeah, I, so first of all, I, I dropped the ball on last time we talked about the thing that I knew that you knew and that, that you knew before watching IBO. Cause it was like one of the main things that you remembered from your last watch there. Yeah. And you wanted me to guess. And I said that I would, and then I text you, uh, and then I didn't. So yeah. I dropped the ball on that. It wasn't. I narrowed it down to three possibilities, which I know okay. isn't very impressive. Yeah. Um, but the three things that I think uh, could be it are uh, Shino, like missing the the shot, uh, McGillis dying, and then Orga dying or being assassinated. Uh, it was not any of this. It was oh. Mika dying. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was still like a significant death, but, um, yeah. That's less of a, uh, <clears throat> cause the way that you had described it, it kind of seemed like, uh, like it was a surprise to you <clears throat> at the time that it happened. And I just didn't no, feel like. So when it ha- I was like waiting for it to happen. Because I knew it was like the one thing that I knew happened in the series. Oh, I mean, like um, your memory of it from the first time you watched. Like you remembered it because it surprised you initially. That was what um, my my takeaway no, was. So what it was was I went into it knowing. Um, I knew three three things. The very first thing that I learned about Iron Blooded Orphans was that the protagonist of the series it was like one of the only Gundam. I don't. There might be other ones. So, you know, I, I have not watched it all Gundam. I'm not speaking, with, but like people talked about it as being like, this is like one of the few gun, like part of what makes this one like, uh, you know, dark or serious or whatever, um, is that the, the like main Gundam boy dies and that just normally doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, normally the like main Gundam boy does not die. Um, and the other two things that I knew were, um, be- because I, I learned that like, just as a thing being like generally spoiled for me. Um, and then like literally like the same day, but in a different context, like both of them were just online. Um, but it, it was a thing where I was able to piece it together. I, I like saw a thing about like, 
how sad it is when uh, Mika dies in Iron Blooded Orphans um, and thinks about like, oh, Atra is going to be mad at me. Um, and there's like images of the scene or whatever, like screenshots. Uh, and with those two, I put together, okay, the, the protagonist dies and I know the protagonist's name is Mika. Uh, and also that the protagonist Mika likes some girl called Atra. Uh, and I saw like a picture of her. Uh, and those are the things that I knew going into Iron Blooded Orphans. That's all I knew okay. <laughs> going into Iron Blooded Orphans, uh, the first time I watched it. So, um, and I and I wondered when we were like the first time I watched through, I was wondering if it was going to happen because I I also didn't know like people said it was like at the end, but this was like around the time when stuff was happening, so I didn't like I think it may have even been spoilers that were like coming from somebody who saw like the Japanese version, and it hadn't been like brought over like dubbed oh so that at early. least or something, uh yeah it was like very early. Uh, and so I also then when I watched it, didn't know if it was the end of season one or the end of season two or like exactly when it happens. I knew I knew like vaguely it was like towards the end, but I also didn't know what season it was. So towards the end of season one, I was like, is the whole thing that's going to happen is that like Mika dies like in the you know, stuff going on? Yeah. In like Edmonton. And then like um, Orga becomes like the protagonist or like there's a new Gundam boy who comes in. Hush comes um, in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't think like specific, but I was like, you know, is it, is it going to be like another one who they've kind of be set, been setting up like, um, whatever. Uh, this, this is also like vague spoilers for another thing. I can, I can maybe bleep this if you think that I should Connor. Uh, but I also, when I heard it being talked about, it was also in the context of, where there is also a notable character death. And that's, that's also why mm. I was like primed for like, maybe it happens earlier. Um, Cause the notable character death in happens like early in the series. Um, I want this whole, just like all of this is just bleeps right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this is just uh, like 30 seconds of bleeps. Yeah. But then I also wasn't, like, fully... So then also, like, during the fight with, like, Hashmal, I was like, is this when it happened? <laughs> like, like, because... Like thinking yeah. it was coming. Yeah. There kept being moments where I was like, is this gonna be it? Um, and then it's, like, literally the last episode. So... And, like, Orga died before then. I didn't think Orga was gonna die at all. <laughs> so that one got me when I f- watched it the first time. Yeah. Um, but... Orga dying um, didn't really get me. But I was, like... I was thinking about it, I don't know. Like I said, for some reason I thought that the whole thing with you remembering the thing was that the thing was surprising to you, like unexpected. Yeah. So I, I don't know how I got that, but that's what I thought. Um, and then I was looking for like, oh, what's like the thing that, you know, what's the surprising thing? Uh I think Orga dying is kind of a surprise, but like for at least 30 seconds before it happened, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, Cause the show does have that way of like, uh, you know, death flagging that we talked yeah. about before where like, I can just feel it intuitively by the time I was watching these episodes, I could feel a death flagging intuitively where I was like, okay, she knows going to die. <laughs> uh, based on this conversation uh, that he's having with, you know, Yamagi and whatever, like the other context clues. Uh, yeah. And then like Orga is like, 
you know, they're like wrapping things up with Kudelia and everyone's like, oh yeah, like we got it. Like, let's go team. You know, we, now we just need to go back to the base and we're good to go. Uh, yeah. and I'm like, okay, yep. Like they're he's yeah. going to walk out and it doesn't make any sense like how this will happen, but he's going to walk out and somehow like he's going to die. Yeah. Um, um, McGillis dying actually did surprise me. Okay. We'll get to that when we, when we get there. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about it some more. Hopefully, um, you know, <clears throat> everyone listening at this point is like prepared for, you know, we're not spoiling anything because the topic of discussion is all yeah. of these episodes. <laughs> so by talking about it right now before doing the synopses, <laughs> hopefully it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, the 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 big thing for me that was interesting just going in knowing that Mika dies uh is all the stuff around like the internal struggle that he was having um I knew where it was going the the very first time I watched it I knew where all of this was going uh like I knew it was going to culminate in he dies um and not that he like goes to you know do the farm or whatever, which then made like every piece of like information about like the, the other possible life that you could have. Um, and then also the way that he's like kind of intentionally or, uh, you know, to, to some degree is like turning away from that again and again, even more tragic to me the first time I watched it. So, um, Cause it's like, a, I, I never had the hope that like any of that would happen. I was just seeing like the, the off ramps being presented and knowing that they weren't going to happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think even with, um, knowing that he's going to die, I still think there's like everything leading up to that. Um, there's still like stakes in that. Uh, yeah, that are related to to all of the, um, you know, alternative lives or like futures he could have, and then his like yeah. you know, um, him like coming to realize them, uh, and like still choose. I have to use the word choose lightly, you know, because a lot of the choices yeah. are. <laughs> Uh, heavily, you know, they're yeah, very uh, limited choices presented, but yeah. Um, but I, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, even though he dies, I still think there's like, uh, the way that the like situation of him dying and then like the dialogue and his like state of mind and stuff at the point of, of his death is, uh, significant. Yeah. Um, well, do we, do we want to get into synopses or do you want to? talking at all about your initial feelings about these episodes um it's a very uh sobering end to this series <laughs> i feel like yeah <laughs> uh in a way that i didn't really expect uh i i don't think i <laughs> well actually now that i'm saying this uh Luckily, we have recorded for posterity what my expectations were uh, last time. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was just about to start saying, like, oh, I don't know what I expected. But no, we, we do know because I, you know, because you asked me. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I expected kind of like 
a more victorious, uh, I, I think like a more straightforward ending in a way. Uh, like I knew that it was going to be, uh, complicated somehow. And I knew that characters would die. Um, and there would be like tragic, uh, deaths and like losses. But I didn't think that like the situation of the world at the end of the series would be what it, it actually like turned out to be. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, should we get to the synopses? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, for the first time, I think all season, I'm having you go first, uh, specifically because I, I selfishly wanted to do the, uh, synopses, uh, or the synopsis specifically for the final episode. And also I just didn't want you to have to like worry about writing down everything that happens while you were watching it and just being able to like watch it your normal way, taking notes. So, um, cause a lot happens in that episode. I remember yeah. that and I was like, it also might just be easier for me to do it having, you know, this being my third time seeing it. So, well, um, <clears throat> I appreciate that. Um, I have developed a new method for, for the synopses, which is, uh, <laughs> I normally watch through, I watch through the episode and for the first time. And that's when I take my notes. Uh, and then when it's time to do the synopses, uh, I, watch through well i just invented this this method invented for myself i mean yeah <laughs> um t- today when i was doing the synopses but i think i'm gonna do this going forward uh i watch it back at 1.5 times speed so that way i don't have to watch like i see everything that happens in the episode but i don't have to like you know commit the time to rewatch the whole thing yeah um and uh, I was very pleased with that because watching the Gundam fights in 1.5 <laughs> uh, speed was pretty pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> like the duel with Megillus and uh, and Gailio. Yeah. Like, just go back and just if you have time, like tomorrow or something, like five minutes, just go and watch that at 1.5 speed. Yeah, because uh, it's great. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. Tangent. Uh, but episode 45, now that you know how I did this synopsis, uh, episode 45 titled, if this is the end, uh, the battle between Gallarhorn and, uh, Teculus is underway. Uh, Arian road outnumbers them and is focusing attacks on Tekadon to divide the Teculus forces. Uh, you see what I did there? Yeah. Uh, To take it on strategy is to end the battle as quickly as possible by killing uh, Restel. Uh, Mika is out uh, fighting um, and engages Julieta, uh, who, who's fighting in the Julia. Uh, we see a quick flashback to before the fight where Restel is like encouraging Julieta to fight Mika and uh, puts his hand on her shoulder, which moves her deep- deeply. Uh, with Mika preoccupied with Julieta, the other Tekadon pilots uh, start to be cut, start to get overwhelmed, and the Easterib uh, takes damage. Uh, suddenly, the Aryan Road fleet launches a signal to retreat, uh, which really confuses the Teculus forces. Uh, and after a very very brief moment of like, you know, confused, uh, cele- like you know, encouragement, yeah. uh, we find that. Uh, this retreat is actually just a pre- the prelude to another ploy by Rustle, 
uh, and a planted Aryan Road soldier launches a Dineslave from Liza Enza's uh, ship, like the bow of the ship, into the Aryan Road forces, uh, thereby giving the appearance that uh, the Tekulis uh, forces have, have used the band Dineslave uh, first. Uh, of course, Rustle, having orchestrated all of this, uh, promptly retaliates with a barrage of Dineslaves he has at the ready, uh, which shreds the Teculus forces and uh, destroys Liza and his ship. Tekadon scrambles to evade, uh, and both Shino and the Hotorubi get hit with Dineslave rounds. Uh, the Hotorubi crew evacuates to the Isuribi. Uh, Shino returns to the Isuribi and is met there by Yamagi, who finds that Shino's arm is broken. Uh, Shino requests that Yamagi install a weapon he's prepared for Flowerus, uh, which is called uh, named by Shino the Super Galaxy Cannon. Uh, great, uh, like, G Gundam yeah. sounding name here. Um, Shino is definitely a G Gundam fan. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. Um, and uh, Yamagi initially, uh, like, resists. Uh, concern for Shino's safety. Like, you know, there's no way you're going back out there. Um, your arm is broken. Uh, and so on. Uh, but Shino pulls him very close uh, and begs him to help, uh, eventually convincing Yamagi to assist with uh, the plan and to install the weapon. Meanwhile, on the bridge, uh, Eugene, Chad, Dante, and Orga discuss their next move. Orga wants to retreat. Uh, but the others argue with him. Uh, kind of this, the same argument um, of like, well, you know, we don't have anywhere else to go to. We have to go forward. You know, you always said we have to go forward. Like, how, you know, if we go back, what, how can we do that? Uh, Shino comes in and proposes to use the Super Galaxy Cannon developed by Yamagi uh, to attack Rustle's ship and kill Rustle. Uh, so kind of like a parallel with the uh, the turbines episodes from last time uh, where Shino and Akihiro come in and like you know they've got a solution to this to save the day uh, it feels very much like another one of these moments happening uh, and then of course like throughout this episode and then um, I think at least the following episode maybe going up to 47 um, no, no, throughout this episode. <laughs> I had to scroll down to see when Shino dies. Um, throughout this, Yumagi and Shino are having conversations uh, that we'll probably yeah. elaborate on later. Um, don't want to don't disappoint Olivia, so we'll, we'll stay immediately. Uh, lots of gay tension here. Yeah. Um, we're not going to... We're not going to uh, miss out on discussing that this time. Mm -hmm. uh, this will be foregrounded. <laughs> Um, uh, triumphant music plays as the Tekadon members are seen encouraging each other for one final push. And, uh, likewise, just as the Gallerhorn, uh, McGillis's Gallerhorn troops begin to panic, McGillis launches in bile and encourages them with references to the will of Agnika Kairu. Uh, and they're all like, yeah, uh, he's like, we're right. You know, uh, this is a just cause and their revolutionary fervor is, like, their battle spirit is restored. Uh, Gileo uh, comes out in the Kimaris to battle Megillus. Isarugi steps in, 
uh, engage in Gaileo to allow Megillus to gather the remaining troops for a counterattack. Gaileo and Isarugi debate their competing visions of Megillus as they battle. And a short distance away, Megillus is gathering the remaining troops, um, still like you know encouraging them, rallying them, uh, when they are promptly bombarded by another Dineslave sortie, uh, reducing their numbers further. Although we don't see exactly how many, but I think we get the gist uh, that yeah um, that a good number have been killed. Uh, we then return to the Isaribi where Yamagi is strapping Shino into Flaros. Yamagi tells Shino he won't forgive him if he dies, uh, and Shino says he obviously won't die because their goal is in sight. Uh, Tekinon- Shino, no! Don't you know about death flagging? <laughs> Um, the, the triumphant music, is just a little too strong, you know, um, yeah. it doesn't look good for you, Shino. Uh, Tekinon's attack. Uh, a note here too, is that like specifically like tying the broken arm to the, the, um, one of the controls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good note. Uh, cause that, that might be significant. Uh, using, uh, so Tekinon's attack commences. Using the remote piloted Hotorubi as a shield, Tekinon attempts to get in close proximity to Elian's ship uh, for Shino to, to kill him. Mika fights Julieta again, uh, and Megillus returns to the Isarugi Gailio duel. Presumably, all the troops he's been gathering are all now dead. Uh, so he comes back to get Isarugi um, and, uh, like, attempting to stop. Uh, um, Gailio from, from killing Isarugi. Uh, Tekinon's plan succeeds, uh, giving Shino a chance to fire the Super Galaxy Cannon. Uh, he's kind of like riding on the Hotorubi as it, um, he surges forward, um, towards Rustle's flagship. Uh, so he, he does in fact fire the cannon, but the shot barely misses Rustle's bridge. Um, and in like, you know, rage, Shino, uh, just charges desperately forward, uh, and is, is killed by the, um, barrage from, from Rustle's ships. Um, episode 46, for whom? Um, I've seen this written sometimes with the question mark and sometimes without, I think my version didn't have the question mark, but I've seen it with it. Anyway, um, we just pick right up from, from last episode. Uh, so Shino gets taken out and Mika is confronted by Julieta. Um, and uh, he just demands that she get out of the way. Uh, meanwhile, everyone's sort of reacting to, at this point, like, is Shino still alive or not? Um, is, is sort of a, a question people have. Um, we as the audience, I think, pretty clearly know that Shino is dead. But there are people being like, you know, we have to go out and get him try and recover him maybe he's still alive um and eugene says uh they need to retreat now rather than attempt to recover his body uh or him if he's still alive uh or else they're gonna lose this opportunity that he's bought them even though they didn't like you know plan it deal the decisive blow they wanted uh this still gives them like an opportunity to retreat so um Mika and Julieta continue to duel. Uh, and Julieta says that even if she can't be a rustle sword, she will still dehumanize herself in some way and be his shield and die protecting <laughs> him. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mika cuts her down. Uh, this is another moment where it's unclear. Is she dead? Um, and, you know, says you talk too much. Um, 
then uh there is a moment here where she notes that um he does not even seem to be human um and she's like trying to hold him back uh but is too weak and and uh Mika you know pulls away and retreats when Orca calls him back um because they're also basically like launching the Hodoruby to to self destruct there's like a timer on it um and that goes off and it explodes into girly purple sparkle <laughs> shaft. Uh, Our favorite. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know why it has to be so sparkly. It's yeah, just shaft. The hell? <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully people have listened to previous of it. If not, this is a weird one to come in on, but um, this has just become a running joke for me now whenever I see the, the purple shaft. Yeah. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking it's yeah. almost like it's reflecting something like why would they yeah. have that <laughs> um anyway uh mcgillis and Galileo continue to duel as isarugi calls a retreat and um when he sees the sees the purple shaft in the distance sparkly and glittery he's like oh um, shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh the so you know that's when he calls the retreat guys we, um, we're out of here this is way yeah. too girly all of a sudden um, anyway, Guy Leo mocks McGillis for his ideals and specifically this like believing, uh, in a machine like vile. Um, but McGillis counters that Guy Leo also tainted himself with forbidden powers. Uh, Guy Leo says that when he defeats McGillis with the same power McGillis believes in, uh, then they will understand each other. Um, McGillis says that Guy Leo has gone mad and Guy Leo says, no, this is proven my, my sanity. Um, which is just a, uh, no, it's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my toddler will do a lot of this, just reversing what you said as a counter. <laughs> um, but we can maybe talk about what this means, actually. Um, when McGillis flinches due to the wound on his hand from Elmiria's knife, uh, Guy Leo goes in for the finishing blow, but Isarugi sweeps in, uh, takes the hit for McGillis. Um, and, uh, you know, pleads for him to retreat with Tekadon. Um, I, I put in the wrong name there, but it's fine. Um, Galileo asks uh, Isurugi, why did you, you know, uh, take this blow for McGillis? Um, and Isurugi says that Galileo would never understand what his life was like growing up in the colonies because Galileo was uh, born on Earth for the family of Bodwin, um, you know, basically like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth so you're like your like, nobility and we're like yeah you know, lumpen pro- proletariat you yeah. can't understand our circumstances yeah um and Galileo says that he too once dreamed uh of mcgillis's ideals but now that dream is uh a dream of the past um you know, lots of dramatic speaking here. Mm-hmm. Um, on the way back to the ship, uh, Galileo recovers Julieta, who has survived her encounter with Mikazuki. Um, Tekadon is now on the run through old turbine routes when they get a call from um, the friendly Yatlahern ships, the, the McGillis ships, uh, to talk through next steps. Um, while they're seemingly going over there, we, we cut away to the hangar. Uh, old man Yukinojo is trying to talk to a withdrawn Yamagi after Shino's death, uh, and is basically saying, you know, Shino gave us a chance to move on to the next place. Um, and Yamagi says that he doesn't want to go to a place without Shino. Um, that like, that's not what he wants. He, he wants a place with Shino. And so, you know, what is this going on to a place without him? Um, 
sort of concurrently with this discussion, uh, Zach is talking to Hush um, that this was supposed to be the last battle. And now that they failed, they should just go back to Mars. Um, and Hush and Dane are like, we don't have a home or a job to return to. Like, this is this is our, our this is everything for us right now. Um, we can't just like run away like you. Um, we also see Atra attending to the wounded. Um, there's this uh, new small boy, uh, small compact boy aboard. <laughs> I, I feel like we've seen him before, but uh, will become slightly more important. Uh, we learned his name, Derma, um, and he has uh, lost the use of an arm. It's like broken or something. Um, I think he lost. And, I think it's been like. Yeah. Uh, he, he's actually like, lost his whole arm. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I think he yeah he may have fully lost it, um, but so he he wishes that he would have died out there, um, and it's sort of doing this thing that we've seen with Mika of like I'm not used to anyone with an incomplete body. I think this is like the specific wording he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, Akihiro is sort of coming by to to help check on stuff and uh, thanks him for surviving so that they can still talk together, um, and you know this seems to to move Derma to some extent um on board mcgillis's ship uh orga and eugene are meeting with mcgillis uh talking through the next steps mcgillis says that uh it was unlike tekadon not to triumph under like such circumstances normally they you know you perform well under pressure mcgillis is sort of doing a uh like uh <laughs> um uh, like performance talk you know normally yeah, co- perform really well them, under but also like yeah. manipulating them heavily <laughs> um and uh, it says, basically, if we can regroup with our other Mars branch forces, then we're going to stand a better chance in the next battle. So, you know, we'll, we'll head back to the Mars branch. We'll, like, regroup. Um, you know, I've got, like, more Gatlerhorn forces there. Um, and McGillis says, uh, also, it would be valuable to show uh, Tekadon's strength in the skies over Mars so that, you know, they can further prove themselves as, like, king of Mars. Um, but Orga fires back that nothing is more far- uh, valuable to him than the lives of his men. Um, McGillis says, well, we can't turn back now. Uh, it would, you know, repeating this thing, it would waste the lives that have already been lost that, uh, Tekadon sort of said over and over again as well. Yeah. Um, and but Orga, they seem to balk a little bit more at like McGillis using this. Yeah. Orga like recoils when McGillis says this. Yeah. Um, Hush comes along and finds Mika and Atra, um, and Mika is just kind of sitting there silently and Atra's like, it's probably best to just leave him alone right now. Um, and Hush asks Atra if something has changed about her. Um, on Rustle's ship, uh, Galileo comes to see Julieta, who has woken up uh, in his little uh, IBO style back to tank. <laughs> um, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Julieta has woken tanks. up in her back to tank. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great like image. We also get them on the, the IBO ship or the Tekadon ship. Um, there's a few people who are in there, but they like, don't have a lot of them. So, um, but Julieta, uh, in her little bank, uh, back to tank says that, um, she was scared. Uh, she felt like she was being gripped by a demon offering her more power. Um, and at the time she felt tempted to take it, but now she is determined to become stronger as a human, um, you know, as herself, um, and not, you know, through these other means, um, back on board the Tekadon ship, uh, Orga and Eugene are looking over the body bags of those who were killed. 
And Orga regrets making them fight to achieve uh, the warm homes that he wanted to give everyone um, that they aren't going to be able to have because, you know, they went and fight uh, to the fight. Um, Yumagi, uh, in this moment, confronts Orga for being so cowardly now. Uh, these men believed his words and died, and now he's he's having these regrets. Um and uh, Yamagi sort of runs away and Eugene chases after him. And Yamagi's like, you know, basically, I don't want to like hear whatever talking down you have to do to me. Uh, and Eugene says, no, actually, thank you. You said what I felt like I couldn't because I also like I understand Orga's position as well. Um, and Yamagi's like, I don't understand. But um, uh, Eugene also uh, says to Yamagi that. Uh, Shino knew that Yamaki loved him um, and was basically happy to know that somebody loved him and that he wanted to like protect a family like Tekadon where there would be all sorts of guys, including, you know, guys who would love other guys. Um, Yamaki cries. Uh, Shino says this in his own way, which is so many weird guys, but I- I'm trying to translate a little bit for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I think that you, you've captured the <laughs> yeah. sentiment. The, the, the actual sentiment I think is warmer, but he, he's talking about like, yeah, we got so many weird guys on the ship. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, some guys really like working out a lot and then, yeah. you know, and then we got some like a guys gay like guy. Other, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. It is. It's very Shino. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the sentiment gets through to Yamaki and, uh, he cries and says that he wanted to die with Shino rather than live on without him. Um, I had a, a Freudian slip and wrote love on without him, but <laughs> <laughs> that, well, um, that works too. Yeah. Um, but then also Shino would be mad to hear him say that he wishes that he didn't have to live on without him. Um, and that he would have rather died. So, um, we then get uh, Orga and Mika talking, and I decided to just write down things that they say because this seems like a really important conversation. Um, so uh, Orga says, "I've talked big all, all this, this time. time. I've been talking a big game. I said we'd gain everything once we won this battle. Then money and status would all be ours. Well, we've got the money at least. Don't know about the status part though. <laughs> After all that big talk." All I really did was tell a huge lie. But I'm the one who made a liar out of you. Mika. If I'd taken out everyone who stood in our way like I said I would, your words wouldn't have been a lie. But when it came down to it, I failed the mission. Oh, I get it now. Huh? That's how it's been for you. From the very beginning. Orga. But things have always been like that. I was worried that I'd brought my friends to the wrong place. But that fear was just my pride talking. You're the one who really brought us here. Everyone brought us here. To make my words a reality. To support them. It was you guys. And now, the only thing I can do for you is never doubt myself. Give me everything you've got. I want it all. You've always had that, Orca. Yeah, you're right. I might see if I can like pull the, the audio and put it in there, but um, if not, 
I read it. Yeah. Um, it's a, a very uh, intense, um, meaningful conversation. Yeah. Um, and then in the post ED, we learn that McGill's has been stripped of his ranking position. Like we literally just see like the first scene of the next episode. So, yeah. And the next episode is episode 47 scapegoat, uh, which begins with the aforementioned scene, uh, where a higher up in Gallarhorn informs McGillis that he has been stripped of his position in Gallarhorn. Uh, so it seems like, you know, in the time that the battle has been transpiring with McGillis in space, uh, the seven stars have united uh, against him. Um, they're like fully backing Elion now uh, and no longer recognize the authority of Bile. Uh, meanwhile, Isnario has uh, disclosed that Megillus is not his son. Um, and he has like kind of blown the lid off of like Megillus's background. Uh, and that has been used to strip Megillus of his nobility as well. Um, so he he truly has like no uh, rank or you know standing whatsoever um, in the Galahorn regime. Uh, Tekadon suits are mangled, and they don't have the parts to repair them. Uh, Orga and Megillus debate what to do next. Orga demands more than equality with Megillus. Um, he wants control of the partnership since Megillus no longer has anything to offer. Because um, Megillus is like, well, oh, I thought we were equals. And Orga's like, no, um, that's not gonna that's not gonna fly anymore. Uh Megillus agrees to this, uh, but Orga remains forlorn, uh, reflecting that their current enemies are just a result of circumstances, and wondering if someone or something else is actually their true enemy. Uh so kind of continuing this like deeply reflective uh mood that we see him in um in these last uh, chunk of episodes. Uh, after McGillis leaves, Tekadon discusses betraying McGillis and handing him over to Rustle. Uh, Orga agrees with the plan, uh, even though it, you know, um, they acknowledge it. Uh, in certain ways, it flies in the face of uh, what they've what they've done in the past and um, what's meaningful to them. Uh, but in the moment that they agree, they see the news announcing that they have been. Uh, decreed to be criminals uh, and have a, a warrant out for their arrest. Uh, so McGillis and Tekadon have been like conflated by the media um, and, and branded as uh, criminals. Uh, on Mars, Atra and Kudelia meet at the farm. Atra tries to tell Kudelia that she's pregnant uh, with Mika's child, but she can't bring herself to say it. Uh, and then they walk over to Mika, who's looking at the flowers, um, specifically the flowers that Kudelia has been tending to in his absence. Uh, and Kudelia and Mika uh, talk uh, a little bit um, while uh, looking at the flowers. Like Mika is like expressing his uh, appreciation for Kudelia um, taking care of them and admiring the beauty of the, of the flowers that uh, she has raised. Uh, back. At Tekadon, uh, Orga learns from Meribet that all of Tekadon's funds have been frozen. Uh, so all of their like creditors, banks, whatever, uh, have uh, stopped lending them money uh, and cut off their money supply. In addition, Noblest Gordon, uh, making a return here, has uh, cut off all of Admos company's funds and is pressuring Cadelia to abandon Tekadon uh, in exchange for you know getting her uh, funding back. 
Uh, Orga tells Cudelia that Noblis is right, and she should t- cut ties with them uh, to save her dream uh, so that her, her dream d- shouldn't have to die uh, because of them. Uh, sensing a theme here with Orga <laughs> uh, in these in these episodes. Yeah. Um, Orga then gathers all the members of Tekanon, telling them that they're free to quit. Uh, and reflecting on how far astray they've gone from his original vision. Um, basically being like, you know, what Tekanon was supposed to be was, um, you know, we were going to fight and there was going to be risk, but you paid well. And then... You know, the promise, also with the promise that, you know, we're going to a place where you can um, have a good life and, like, a good living without risking, you know, without this level of risk, without having to, like, fight for your life um, yeah. and battle and wars. Um, but, you know, he- here we are. Um, you know, I feel we've gone so far astray. Uh, in spite of this... Uh, many of the members affirm their commitment to Tekadon. Um, there's like a rousing chorus of like, no, you know, we support you. Uh, but Zach breaks in, uh, announces that he, he is quitting, uh, and yells at the others in exasperation, saying that their circumstances are hopeless, um, and that, um, you know, them remaining, uh, committed to, to this, to Tekadon and, and this course of action is, essentially suicidal. Uh, and we do see many members join Zach in quitting. Um, so they like walk off, they walk away. Uh, afterwards, Zach and Dane talk. Um, basically, uh, it's kind of a, a extension of the conversation that, uh, Dane and Hush and Zach had earlier. Uh, but Zach is still like exasperated. Um, like, I can't understand why, you know, why everyone's doing this. Um, Dane, why don't you come, like, back home with me? I'll get you a job. Uh, and Dane reveals that, um, actually, that's not going to work because I, like, murdered people. Or killed pe- he's killed people, at least. Um, and am a criminal, even outside of being in Tekadon. Uh, and so there's no place in society for me, uh, even if I were to leave. Uh, but Tekadon accepted me, um, and, you know, that has, like, a higher meaning. Um, that has a higher meaning for me than just, like, you know, being able to escape with my life. Uh, and Zach is, like, really struggles with uh, processing this um, and is uh, finding it difficult to resist his own emotions, Um to, to stay and fight. Um, and uh, old man Yuki Nojo and Mirabit also talk. Um, Yuki Nojo urge, uh, urging Mirabit to, to escape, uh, to like retreat. Uh, she refuses, um, you know, again, uh, insisting she's going to stay with, with the children. Um, and Yuki Nojo is like, okay, yep. Fair enough. <laughs> that's your, that's your decision. Um, uh, meanwhile, Orga calls McMurdo and asks McMurdo to connect him with Rusto Elian. Uh, back with Cudelia. Um, well, it's still in Tekadon's base. Um, Cudelia goes to see Mika, uh, and Mika reveals that Atra is pregnant. Um, that, you know, they're having a child together. 
or at least they expect to. Uh, it turns out that that they are. Uh, Mika asks Cudelia to help raise the child, saying he wants uh, to make a promise like the one he made with Orga long ago. Uh, Cudelia and, and Mika hug as Atra looks on. Atra is kind of like um, Cudelia and Atra are sleeping in the same room, and Atra wakes up. Cudelia's not there, so Atra like walks into the hangar and then is witnessing this conversation. Cudelia uh, is discussing with Mika her mixed feelings about the revelation that you know Atra's pregnant. Um, you know, like oh, I'm so happy, but I'm also I feel like pain. Uh, and Atra just like interjects, being like, "Well, you should have a baby with Mika too." Um, there's no reason why, like, you know, I'm the only one who can have a baby with Mika. Uh, and then they, they hug each other, uh, very tenderly. Um, the, like, Atra kind of, like, breaks the ice here and Cudelia is like, yeah, you know what? She doesn't say out loud, but she kind of, like, seems to, uh, acknowledge that, um, the veracity of, of Atra's point. Uh, but yeah, they do uh, like their group hug uh, again. And Cudelia promises to protect Mika, Atra and their baby. Uh, meanwhile, Orga is on the phone with Elion. Orga begs to surrender, but Elion derides him and explains that he plans to annihilate Tekadon to make them into a scapegoat and restore Gallarhorn's moral authority. Uh, and then hangs up. Um, overhearing the conversation, Eugene and Akihiro charge in and confront Orga, telling him uh, to share the burden of leadership instead of taking it all on his shoulders. Um, they're kind of like, you know, resent Orga's offer to uh, turn himself in to, to save Tekadon. Um, they're like, you know, Eugene specifically saying, uh, how could you think that your life is equal to all of ours? Uh, kind of turning it on Orga in this moment. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, kind of debriefing afterwards, uh, Tekadon, the members of Tekadon and Cudelia, uh, managed to uh, concoct a plan that will let the Tekadon members escape Mars uh, and go to Earth to gain new identities with the help of Machinai, uh, thereby avoiding execution. Uh, and allowing themselves to like you know escape the situation and um, continue living. Um, yeah, is this where we learn about the like communication cable channel to tunnels that they're going to try and escape through, or is that next time? <clears throat> uh, it, yeah, I do think we learn about it here. So uh, yeah. that's important. Yeah. There's tunnels under the um, the base from like the Calamity War that. Uh, they're going to use to they can use the tunnels to get to Crease and then from Crease they can like somehow go to Earth um, and like you know get the new identities um, yeah they the don't plan really is elaborated have the more. how to get to Earth yet but they'll, yeah they'll get more as it goes on yeah it's elaborated more in the coming episodes um, there's even some of some of like we don't know if we're going to have a way off the planet once we get to Crusade, but at least like we're moving further away from being killed here. So yeah, um, we got to like try something. Um, um, but yeah, so I, I think this time we're going to, we're going to break it up. 
um, 45 to 47, and then we'll do 48 to 50. Yeah. I feel like we'll, we can be, like, kind of short with these first three. Um, like, there's some stuff we can talk about, but also, like, uh, how much do we want to get into, like, Orga and the stuff with, like, Kudeli and Atra and Mika when we just, like, have the ending of it coming, yeah. you know? I think... Um, but, like, we can do, like, Shino and... Um, Yamaki here, obviously, and there's like a few things we I think we can pull out that we want to talk about, but yeah, um, I guess I will say as like a preface. Um, so I mean, two things. So the first one is I normally uh, try to watch all of the episodes for Ghost Divers. Well, okay, let me back up. I normally try to give myself a few days to process the episodes. Yeah, um, think about them before recording uh and i didn't really do that this time uh which is not a big deal but i'm still like i'm still processing the ending of this uh and these episodes i think it might work out though because you've been watching the entire time (laughs) knowing the ending and thinking about it Um, yeah so you like having had a lot of time to think about it and anticipate it um And then me, like, you know, still thinking through it. Um, I I hope that's that actually works out. Yeah. Uh, But then secondarily. um, Gosh, completely lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, uh, in a long series like this. We've had this before on Ghost Divers where like we get a a lot of opportunity to talk, uh, to flesh out everything going on in a series, uh, like Ray earth, for instance. Um, and then by the time we get to the end, it's just like, okay. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is like getting maybe resolved. Uh, but at at the very least, like, you know, tied together and like, it's continuing to be referenced. Uh, so when I'm watching through these episodes, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like, um, you know, the Julieta Mika like interaction is like the encounter is about like dehumanization and their like respective, you know, relationships to it. Um, yeah, and we and can, they both we can have talk arcs about like the the like turn that happens on that when we get to the next three episodes. But yeah, like right. the that arc is coming to. Um, you know, Mika seemingly being, uh, giving more and more of himself to Barbados. Um, Julieta, like, continuing to use this language of, like, I'm going to, like, be a tool. I'm going to be, like, a weapon that can be used. Um, I'm going to, like, fashion myself into, like, metal, basically. Uh, this, like, also dehumanizing thing that's having its parallels with the stuff that happened with Ayn, um, who does just get, like, fused into a weapon. Um, and having this moment in the confrontation with Mika, um, the like fear of like recognizing the power that you can get by like continually giving yourself over, um, and being like, I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah. I want to remain human. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. I don't like when I say this as an example, I don't mean to it, like gloss over it. Cause this is actually like a very key turning point um this is part of why i really like julietta as a character 
Um, I mean, one, she is just like introduced as a weird girl who eats a butterfly, which I just think is fantastic. Like her introduction is, is great. There, for me, there's still a disconnect between that and then like everything else that happens with the character. Yeah. I still don't understand why that happens, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, that's, every time I watch it, I'm like, why does she like step down off of the roof like that and then eat a butterfly? Um, <laughs> not everything needs to be explained, I guess. Yeah, I just I just like that as the weird way that she gets introduced. Um in part because it almost figures her as being like um in a different mold than Carta, but like Carta issue you get some development with her, but not a ton. She yeah. mostly exists to be like this representation of um this like very haughty nobility, like uh I've studied the books on how to do warfare. Um and you know is going to get cut down by by um yeah like the stagnant ineffectual like yes. Gallerhorn like mm. worldview um and she exists as that and then she has like her her little jokes around her and Julietta gets introduced in a way where you're almost like oh is she just going to be like another sort of not necessarily like directly a card issue but I I think like the first time that I saw her I was expecting her. I was honestly expecting her to die and maybe not even like towards the end of the series. So like seeing the development of her throughout um, season two uh, is something that's like interesting, like the way that she ends up tying together a lot of interesting stuff from season one into yeah. stuff that's going in in season two. Uh, I end up really liking her as a character. Um, and I, in some ways the like her eating the butterfly seems like a, a fake out to like make you not <laughs> fully, to, to like book her like as just like a weird side character who might get owned. Yeah, like the, like oh this <laughs> is like, like the next fighter five that episodes. is going to yeah. get owned, and we're just like distinguishing yeah. her as like you know this weirdo. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like um, actually, that's not at all. <laughs> like in the last in these episodes, her character completely uh, like goes in a different direction. That yeah. uh, is is very interesting. Uh, I agree with you. Um, um, but all of that to say, like, I think that at this point we have a degree of shorthand with some of the themes where we can just kind of be like, oh, yeah, you know, here's the like, it's a dehumanization theme with yeah. Julieta. <laughs> uh, but this is what ha- it turns into, you know, something else here. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe that like expedites some of the. Uh, the the first group of episodes here. Yeah. Um, so Shino and Yamagi. Yeah. Well, let's do the two uh, big homoerotic things. So we, we can do Shino and, and Yamagi, and then there's something else we got to talk about. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is. This is a thing that uh, I think got talked about some at the time and did surprise me a little bit. Um, was like a a more. I feel like this has been happening more in like just broader anime. Obviously, there's been subgenres that do this, but like being willing to be a little bit more explicit about the thing that has been happening on the screen. Um, you know, there's a way that you can read into what's happening with Shino and Yamagi as gay from like the jump, like from the first time Shino's like, "I'm gonna go out to." you know, sleep with some girls and Yamagi looks all pouty about it. Um, 
And so for me watching this the first time, it was like uh, kind of gratifying to be somebody who who is in the like, oh, this is gay, but that often that gets treated as, no, it's not really, you know, uh, she knows clearly a straight guy. Um, and there's still a certain way to, to, to read the ending of like, um, Shino not like fully, we can talk about this when we get to like Atra and Kudelia stuff too, but like Shino clearly is interested in women. Um, and even brings it up in like the final moments of like, you know, we'll go out to, I'll take you to a place with a lot of pretty girls. Um, but then also when Yamagi is like, go by yourself, it's like, no, I, I want to be with you. And so like, let's go drinking to, you know, alone together or whatever. Um, there is like a recognition happening on Shino's part of the relationship, um, that Yamaki wants and like at least some desire to, to, uh, return that, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I also think that there's a, a lot of interesting, um, you know, we're, we're going to get this a little bit with some of the other characters, but I think this is the one where we like are given the space to see it the most play out. Um, which is the like, uh, we've had a number and we're, we're going to have obviously Mika and stuff. We've had a number of like characters who are loved and then die. And we, we get the very specific like complexity around that of being like, um, I don't want to live on without them, but also I know that that's not what they would want. Yeah. Um, and the, the like difficulty of navigating that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your, your read of the Shino Yamagi thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd be open to like hearing, uh, an argument to the contrary. Um, it doesn't seem like Shino is like reciprocating, uh, like, you know, the like romantic or sexual feelings the same way. Um, yeah. but he's certainly like a- engaging with them and like aware of them. Um, like for instance, uh, I think one of the, like, well, I mean, there, there's numerous, uh, pretty much everything with them in these, like, uh, I guess episode 45. Um, yeah. I keep thinking that it's multiple episodes where it's happening, but it might just be 45. Yeah, um, I think it pretty much is. But uh, the one where, like, uh, Yamagi and Shino are in the cockpit together, and I think um, the Isuribi gets, like, hit or something. So there's, like, a quake, uh, and Yamagi is trying to, like, strap Shino in, uh, but when, like, the quake happens, he just, like, reactively kind of, like, uh, like grasps Shino and is, like, hugging him around the waist. Um, yeah. And there's just a moment of silence there where, like, Shino's looking down and just, like, letting, um, like, Yamagi hold him uh, yeah. before being, like, transitioning the conversation. However, I can't remember exactly. Um, but that's another one of those, like, small moments that really um seems to hold a lot of emotion like subtly um and then of course like on the more manipulative side uh the way that shino like pulls yamagi to him like face to face uh when he's trying to get yamagi to put the the cannon on the uh on the flowers um and that's another like very 
you know, sexually charged moment that is created by Shino. Yeah. Um, and it seems like knowingly, uh, especially since, you know, we find out later that, that Shino is like fully aware of, um, Yamagi's feelings. Um, so there's like a degree of engagement that I think, um, yeah, I, I don't really know, uh, what, like how to, fu- how to read it on Shino's side fully. Um, but I guess that is kind of my takeaway at the, at this point with it. Yeah. Uh, undeniable that like Yama- Yamagi, uh, has like romantic sexual feelings for, for Shino and is like in love with him and that Shino is aware. Um, like, yeah, th- yeah, this. And is it, is it at least like, okay with that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think all of that is like indisputable. Um, yeah. So, uh, definitely want to, uh, lead with that <laughs> here since we neglected it previously. Yeah. Um, We'll get to something that that I think is indisputable, and then I'll talk about the people who dispute it that I think are ridiculous later. But uh-huh. um, I think I know. I think I know what that's going to be. Yeah. Um, um, the other homoerotic thing, though, that we have to bring up is uh, the Orga and Mika stuff, specifically the uh, "Give me all of you." I gave it to you. Uh, I gave. I gave it to you a long time ago. I was yeah. trying to find the the exact quote. Um, which um yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i put i put the emoji in here um yeah in my notes when when we had that conversation uh i like yeah this whole exchange is great um i think it builds on the conversation that we uh marked as being like very sexually uh you know charged um yeah the one where mika is like you know the more the darker and more forceful one um where orga is uh like having second thoughts and mika is like you know tell me who to kill um but here i think it it's a very different type of conversation um because orga and mika have both uh, they're like, have both gone through a lot of changes. Um, and their viewpoints on like tech it on and, um, you know, the pat like what has transpired in the path forward ha- have changed. Um, specifically, like, I think they're both tired. Um, yeah. Mika, uh, as we talked about last time, there's, an arc for Mika now um, where he seems to be uh, actually moving away from like this resignation uh, to like, you know, becoming one with Barbados uh, and uh, moving towards like becoming more invested in uh, a different like way of life, like an end to the fighting, Um, you know, a peaceful life with like, you know, Atra uh, and Kudelia. Um, and he like wants the fighting to be over. Um, he doesn't want to just like continue going on killing. Um, and that like desire to, to stop, uh, 
as something that he is like articulating in his ways. Um, yeah. And then Orga too. Um, I think the, the big turn in these episodes um, and it's, it's like, so uh, such a strong turn that it is even um, a little bit jarring. Uh, but Orga just like fully uh, accepting Biscuit's point of view um, and like switching over to that way of thinking. Um, yeah. And like ready to abandon the like monomania, um, the like the aspiration to be king of Mars um, and like all of that uh, just to like preserve life. Um, and like the lives of, uh, you know, of the Tekadon members. Um, yeah. So this conversation is like, in some ways, almost, uh, the opposite <laughs> of the earlier one. Um, because it's both of them being like, um, Orga is recognizing, uh, that like, the way that he's expressing his like regrets uh, is like undermining his leadership uh, or, or undermining this like relationship of that he has with Tekadon um, as like, you know, their leader um, because to be the leader, uh, he needs to like um, whatever the path is, uh, which, you know, is, like, defined by him. Whatever the path is, he needs to, like, hold firm to it. Uh, he can't be wavering, uh, because if if he's, like, wavering, then um, you know, the whole power of his leadership is uniting people um, towards, like, this common goal. Um, so even though he's, like, affirming, uh, oh, yeah, like, you know, I was wrong. I have to be, like, I can't ever think twice anymore. Um the path is different now. Like at this point, he's chosen the path of like, we're going to retreat <laughs> uh, and save everybody's lives. Uh, and that's the path that I can't waver on. Um, but like philosophically, uh, you know, he, he has like shifted um, to uh, like prioritizing this different thing. Um, and I think so has Mika. Um, so, the context of the relationship where it's like, you know, give me all of you. I give it to you a long time ago. Um, this like absolutism, uh, of like, you know, I'll follow you anywhere, uh, is is maintained. Um, but also like the content of it, uh, is so much like the meaning is so much different. Um, because they're like united, but their goal that they're, um, like they've both gone through, uh, uh, like a shift in viewpoint. Um, so their goal is like different now. Um, and so I think this makes like this conversation really, uh, poignant, especially in contrast to the previous one. Um, because it like marks, uh, like just how much of a shift has happened. And I think you like really feel, um, like it's very humane and that you really feel uh, the weight 
of like everything that's transpired on both of these characters. Yeah. <clears throat> There's also a, a certain, in, in, an, in a way that like seems to be true, just given the rest of the series um, <clears throat> that like both of them are feeling the weight um, and having sort of these, regrets about them or a, a desire for something different, um, you know, an end to this fighting. Um, but also like this recognition that they, they've gone too far and it's going to be hard to come back now. Um, yeah. you know, and I think part of this is like one of the, the most poignant symbols of this is while Mika is like seemingly trying to think of ways to, you know, like have the have a kid like a wife that will be beyond this fighting and everything um he's still like almost always tethered to uh barbados yeah um like he can't let that go um for instance the scene where with kudelia where she's like can you give me a hug and then he he tries to walk to her but he's held back um, yeah he's like you're going to have scene. to come come to me for for the hug um and we also see that like you know it's like wrapped around something weirdly like the other option is like going and trying to like <laughs> unwrap like the yeah um yeah um but yeah there is this way that like that tether continues to hold him back um uh, i i also think um because <clears throat> we led into this with the like you know homoerotic angle and i didn't comment on that at all um <clears throat> the way that the promise with kudelia is like explicitly linked to the promise with orga um and then also the way that like mika expresses his feelings for orga after orga's died um i think you can read this as like it if you're interested to you know, I think you can read uh, more into, like, are there romantic feelings of some sort um, yeah. in this? Um, because the relationship uh, with Mika and Orga is, like, uh, <clears throat> constantly emerging uh, in his, like, the ways he's thinking about uh, his relationships with Atra and Kudelia. Yeah. Um, also, this is a this is a thing that not that it doesn't come up in in other anime, and you know I'm sure other Gundam has like touched on this stuff too. Uh, but I also want to call it because I don't know if I've said this explicitly that also this like homoerotic tension that exists between Orga and Mika is another thing that I another thing that I think is like um, some of the yakuza genre uh, that it's played with in other ways as well. Uh, having like an influence on this as well. Um, because a lot of the, the stuff around like, especially blood brothers and things, um, in Yakuza media can be like very homoerotically charged. Um, you know, battles without, uh, the first battles without, uh, honor and humanity movie, like one of the most like homoerotically charged movies ever, uh, includes two men at the very beginning, uh, drinking each other's blood, to become blood brothers um and then spending like most of the movie gazing at each other longingly through like various things physical and and non-physical that separate them and like prevent them from being together um 
Yeah. So just like so, encoded into the film is is all yeah. of this. Yeah. Um. And and I do think there's like a certain amount to which like that bit also sort of. Uh, Orga and Mika's relationship feels like it is coming from a similar mode there of this, like, uh, you know, co- extremely long connection that people might have, uh, this, like, brotherhood that is, um, of blood, but not of, like, you know, familial blood in the, the traditional sense. Right. Uh, but there's, like, this, like, new family being made, all of that stuff, like, the, Tekadon as a family is a thing that I think is sort of coming from that Yakuza stuff um, as well. And yeah, just having this like, um, and also the, the the sort of tragedy of it, I think is common in a lot of Yakuza stuff. So yeah. Um, and then we also have... brothers are, are going to like one of the core tensions that exist in Yakuza films are hitting this moment where it's like, you either have to follow your boss's orders and kill your, your blood brother, or you have to like, break from the family itself and then not kill your blood brother. Um, and like, you know what to, to go to Evangelion when your dad says that you have to kill your gay lover. (laughs) Um, yeah, but yeah, um, don't do it. Don't never do do it. says, (laughs) um, uh, what else here? Um, we have, uh, Uh, go ahead. Oh, I I thought of something, but never mind. I, we already kind of brought it up. <laughs> okay. So um. Yeah, I mean, we could get more granular on the like Orga's struggle, um, and and what is exactly happening with him here. Yeah, there there is a certain amount to which. Um, there's a mixing of the taking on of the biscuit position as well as like uh, a certain um, like behavior that that's observed in like suicidal people where it's like just trying to like get rid of all of the uh, things that you have that you might be attached to um, that I think is also tying into this like fatalism that he might have about like, I might just die here. Um, and I want to like, try to jettison things so that it's like one that's like easier for me and also hopefully easier for the people around me. Um, where, you know, he, I think wants like all of Tekadon to just disband. Um, but too much, too many people are like, we, we can't. And we'll, we'll even see how much like those who might have other means beyond, you know, Dane does not have like the, any, um, any real space for him yeah, in society. Yeah, any other sort of place. Uh, Zach might, but then we're going to see... Zach has a computer Zach science degree. Yeah, he does. He's got a computer <laughs> science degree. He can do coding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He'll he'll go... He'll find a job. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think with Orga, in addition to that... Um, yeah, the like guilt of you know everything that's transpired, um, and then also like his deep empathy, uh, which was always the the threat. Um, like going back to when Naze, you know, confronts him and is like, "Do you realize what your position is? Right? Like you're going to give orders that are going to result in your family members dying." Um. And like, if you're going to be 
to make a family out of this type of organization that is like, you know, uh, a military <laughs> organization uh, and you're the leader, then that means that your, your family's going to die and uh, you have to be prepared for that. And I think that uh, this, like the larger questions around this uh, emerge as like key themes of the ending. So I won't, you know, completely yeah. address it here. Um, but Orga's I mean, There like, is also a way that he is, he, he seems to be trying to do what Nase did to some extent of like, um, and even as like this plan develops is like everybody yeah. like get away, uh, you know, we're, we're disbanding this, like get new identities. Um, if, and, if I can like sacrifice myself to save everybody yes. else, then that's like yeah. the correct thing to do at this point. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, born out of, um, I guess I'm just interested in marking how like, you know, his character shifts over the course of the series. Um, and, and now it's like, you know, such a strong, um, change at this point, just cause like the weight of the guilt and the deep empathy, um, uh, for, uh, you know, everyone in Tekadon, um, has like made him see, um, you pretty much every counter argument <laughs> to, to what he's doing. Um, and, and to become like alienated, uh, like from himself and from his role. Uh, and then, you know, the, the deep like dissonance that, that that's creating, um, where he has to like confront these, um, these very difficult, like larger questions, uh, that I think remain unaddressed at the end of the, or, uh, unresolved at the end of the show. Um, like he's having to, to confront all of this and is kind of landing on like, you know, more of the biscuit side of like, well, you know, the most valuable thing is life, um, and like preserving life, um, and not moving forward towards like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, gaining whatever status, uh, or security, um, you know, what we're imagining, uh, but again, we, we can address that um, more later on. Yeah. Um, there is. I, I think. Is there one other thing you want to do before we move on to the last thing? Uh, I just want to call out McGillis. Um, yeah. We'll have a lot more of him, but. Yeah, we will. Uh, but there's a couple uh, <laughs> um, unfavorable signs for McGillis here in these episodes. Uh, I think it's like continuing to uh, call into question Megulus's faith in bile. Um, we're getting a lot of like signs that uh, this actually doesn't really work the way that Megillus uh, thought it would. Um, yeah. Such as like the scene in 45 where he's like, goes out in bile to rally the troops um, and then they just get like shredded with the Dines leaves. Um, and then, you know, again, him losing his status, uh, as soon as he like leaves, uh, seven stars, uh, unite against him and strip him of his, 
um, you know, he's no longer an aristocrat and he's no longer like part of the, uh, his position in like the hierarchy and the bureaucratic organization of Gallarhorn is stripped. Um, so now it like, doesn't matter that he has bio at all. Um, so, uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, Actually, like this kind of charismatic authority of this symbol <laughs> uh, does not uh, override like what's more important is like the structure of this organization. Um, yeah. Like Russell's perspective seems to be um, being affirmed here. Uh, and and we'll see how that plays out in the next <laughs> the next three episodes. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a, a subtle thing happening where, um, and I, this also ties in to some degree with like exactly what's going on with, uh, Mika's death where like some of it is like being pushed to the limit, but I think there's like a, an open question of like knowing that Agnika Kaeru is supposed to be in Bile. Is there like just a certain amount of like what has happened is like Mika has like fully lost himself inside Barbados. Um, because we'll get to it, but there's like the, you know, uh, Julieta remarking that he seems to be unconscious when he's uh, fighting yeah. at the end. Um, and so there's a certain amount of like, uh, also McGillis, like kind of thinking that like bile is going to be like the hottest shit mech ever. <laughs> um, and is it really just that like, no, you, you need just like someone like Mika in it. Like, you need someone who's, like, going to fight uh, that intensely, um, who's going to be, like, that willing to sacrifice to to get the win, like, all of those sorts of things that's, like, happening with Mika. Um, and McGillis just isn't going to cut it. Uh, even, at, you know, some of it is, like, we specifically get the wound from Almeria making him lose the fight. Uh, I think there's both, like, the literal thing happening with that, but also, like, a certain amount of... Um, a symbolic contrast. thing that's going in. Yeah, th- this contrast as well, but like um there is this like human side to McGillis uh for as like horrible as he is to Almeria. It does seem like in like not wanting her to die, he has some sort of like and again, I think there's like manipulative ways that this exists, but there is some sort of like uh holding back that he is doing. Um, and we're getting, I think, like a little bit of a paralleling with that. And then like the, the bracelet that Mika has, but like that relationship is not the same as like Mika and Atra, like Mika and Atra have a, a far stronger and like, it's not based on like, uh, lies and manipulation and like, uh, over grooming of a young child. Um, and so that is specifically like the, the ways in which he does not have like those genuine connections with people, um, is this thing that is like holding him back. Um, and so that's also this thing that's like making him lose this fight is, uh, you know, what he has is a wound and not like a, a bracelet that reminds him of the people who love him. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a very, um, uh, yeah. that's a very good catch there <laughs> with yeah. the wound being connected. Um, because that, that I was going to suggest, uh, no, the same idea ultimately, uh, slate spoiler before we go on to these probably not uh de- too devastating um but Megillus's like insistence on uh you know solitude uh, on like not having connections with others not being a part of like uh 
uh, a family or an organization or whatever, um, you know, that's, this is the cornerstone of his philosophy that like being solitary is what grants him power. Um, but actually he's not that powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we see that, um, like, you know, it's hinted in start of season two when he's like about to be killed, uh, in the like, you know, war with no name or whatever. Uh, and yeah. then again, again, like, you know, he loses to Gailio essentially twice. Uh, and you know, he dies, uh, yeah. and he can't go out and do like the cool, uh, like he desperately wants to just go do like the Mika thing and he can't do it. Um, and he like repeatedly yeah. he's like, you know, he's stating before doing, going out and doing that, like, yes, like this is my moment that like me being like one really strong guy <laughs> is going to turn the tide. <laughs> and then he goes out and it's like, the, like he just like fails uh yeah and it's so sort of like again, really, again like the the one w we have for him is him legitimately getting the surprise on guy leo that first time uh being like haha i betrayed you stab and then he, <laughs> he he fails at killing the guy yeah he doesn't even do it right <laughs> yeah like yeah every single time uh yeah. so um yeah but you maybe... know that dub was an l <laughs> Yeah, even then, like in terms of his ultimate goal, uh, he definitely he failed there as well. Um, so uh, yeah, well, maybe this tie we can tie this all together. Uh, yeah, later. Um, yeah, I think we can move on to the the next three episodes. So, uh, episode forty eight. This is titled "Promise." Uh, we have a number of promises that this could be about. Um, so Zack and the others who chose to leave Tekadon, uh, stare down the Gatlinhorn forces that have arrived and remarked that they are now, uh, Tekadon in the eyes of the law, no matter how far they run. Um, uh, basically like we've been branded this, we, we can't really escape. Um, and literally like we would have to go through some people who are here to kill us. Um, Meanwhile, Rustle tells the forces to hold until he arrives, um, just sort of like, you know, keep the perimeter, um, and tells uh, on the phone, we're going to get lots of like sequences of people talking to Noblest Gordon on the phone, especially Rustle. Um, but, you know, we've got uh, the voice chat up with uh, Noblest Gordon. Um, and Rustle says, you know, you control the civilian media coverage of this while, while I handle the this side of it. Um and we get on the news uh, report that Tekadon uh, did not respond to requests to surrender. Um, and so they are going to attack. And I think it's two days is, is what's stated. Um, Sounds we're right. going to get, yeah, we, I think it is like two days time-wise plotting it out. Um, at first I thought they said like in the morning, but that is not correct. <clears throat> um uh, meanwhile, McGillis, uh, sort of at the Tegadon base, says that if they win here, it will all be over. Um, you know, he is continuing to assert this, like, this is the final fight. Uh, we have to keep going, you know. Uh, we this have to worked keep last time to, yeah. to convince everyone to fight. Um, and I uh, specifically keeps being like, Mikazuki, what do you want to do? Um, and Mika's like, I do whatever or- Orga says. Uh, McGillis is like, no, but like, what do you want to do? 
Mika. Uh, don't listen to Orga. What do you want to do, Mika? Um, and Mika asserts that what he and Orga wants are the same. Um, Tegadon discusses their plans to run um, and to destroy the headquarters through old communication uh, cable channels. Um, and basically the, the thing is like trying to make it look like they got wiped out. Um, and then they'll try and contact Mach and I and, you know, get their records changed and stuff and, and try to escape from there. Um, Megillah says that the old Tekadon would have fought. They never would have run like this. Uh, and Orga says he just wants everyone to survive. Um, Megillah says that he plans to just like cut straight through the enemy lines. He's just going to charge out. Um, and he's like, you know, while I do this, I'm doing this on my own. I'm a, I'm a lone wolf, so you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but I'm, I'm being the strong independent. I'm going to win this myself. Um, but while I'm doing this, it would create an opening for you, uh, and some of the other Tekadon people to like also try and sneak through enemy lines. Um, just a suggestion. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, then, uh, oh, also points out that if they do this, um, it could also further convince Rustle that Tekadon sort of has remained there and to, to moving closer and maybe wipe out some of the forces when they do the, uh, you know, blowing up the base thing. Um, Orga plans to go by car with Kudeli and Atra. Um, but Atra says that she doesn't want to go and leave Mika and everyone else behind. Um, mm. But it's Kudelia who ends up convincing her, saying, you know, I promise that I, uh, to Mikazuki that I protect you and I protect your baby. Like, come with us right now. You know, try and get out of this. This seems like a, a good chance. So, uh, come with me. And, and that finally convinces her. Um, meanwhile, Mikilis, uh, gang goes up to Mika and is like, you know, forget about this Orga guy. Why don't you join me? Um, <laughs> I'm and a great Orga, boss. Or, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mika continues to resist, um, and Orga says, uh, and I, I have the, the quote here, uh, maybe I'll see if I can pull the audio for this as well, um, try to, to do a little bit more editing work for this one, um, but Mikila says, I, I thought, thought the way, the way you, you fought, fought was beautiful. Power that I saw as my ideal. Power with which I could secure a bright future. You and your gang don't know how to make use of that power. So I thought that I could lead you. I believed that I could guide you toward our common goal. However, I was mistaken. Tekadon's brilliance has no ideals. They lack a true sense of purpose, and they have no destination. This fleeting nature... You talk too much, you know that? Every one of us is gonna make it there. Make it where? Hey, you know better than to try and poach one of our members. Let me speak along with Mika. Uh, McGillis gets out of the way. Um, and Orga says, you know, we're going to find another place where we belong. Um, he also tells Mika that he's going to go to the city with Kudelia. Um, and Mika is nervous to basically have Orga away where he can't protect him. Um, so again, slight, uh, homoerotic tension happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then gives Orga his gun, uh, when Orga asks for it, um, and, uh, you know, as he's handing it over, Orga remembers the day, um, you know, basically like episode one, the start, you know, Mika pulling the, the shot on the, or pulling the trigger on the, the pistol and like getting knocked back. Um, we return there. Um, 
And Orga says that Mika scared him, but also made him feel like if he was with Mika, they would never lose. Um, ominous thing to say when you're about to not be with Mika for a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. And promising to bring the gun, the gun back. Also ominous. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next morning, uh, Hush, at this point, just fully committing to not understanding how polycules work. And so he <laughs> hides his face when Atra and Kudelia both kiss Mika goodbye. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to introduce a little bit of lever- levity because these are our heavy episodes overall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, um, we're gonna need it. Yeah. Uh, I watched these on my vacation and like cried multiple times, especially during the final episode, um, particularly hit me this time. Um, but anyway, the operation begins as McGillis and Bile takes off. Uh, Eoc throws himself out to be a sacrifice to die, to, to be the pretext for, for no the rest reason. of Gallahorn to retaliate. He's, yeah. He, he just keeps being like, let me be the sacrifice so that my men can live. <laughs> Um, but somehow once again, manages to avoid death. This, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. McGillis um, fails again at stabbing yeah. the cockpit. <laughs> Come on. It was Eoc. This is the, this is the, <laughs> like, you're, you're booked to win this one. My man, yeah. <laughs> it's Eoc. <laughs> yeah. He can't even, can't even do that. Yeah. Can't even kill Eoc, man. <laughs> um, Come on. Do one thing for us. Meanwhile, while this is happening, we see the little Tekadon cars. Um, I think there's like two or three of them. Um, and with the distraction, they sort of slip through. Um, we get a shot under the Tekadon base um, and Zach returns uh, and is like, let me help out digging out the communication tunnels. You know, I'm I'm gonna, still going to escape somehow. So uh, I'll help you all with this. Uh, it's a little bit of like, a, oh, I'm, I'm recognizing I'm still kind of a part of Tekadon, but there is also a little like, we're all running, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the other uh, escape route is not viable, so this is yeah. my only option. Um, meanwhile, uh, Galileo asks Rustle why he let McGillis escape, um, and Rustle says that he believes that McGillis... Uh, or yeah, he he basically doesn't think that McGill should run forever. Yeah, he'll like, he'll come for me. Like yeah, yeah, he's not just gonna. Um, all of his actions have been like he's going to make himself known and try and like kill me again. Uh, and I trust that you will take care of him when the when the time comes. Um, at the Animos Company, um, Orga and the others learn that their communications were cut off so that they couldn't surrender. Uh, they basically get the news about like the surrender thing and they're like, oh, that's why they cut our communications. And so we couldn't send out like a surrender thing. Uh, and they would have, you know, the pretext to say that we were not surrendering and so they have to attack. Um, and so they call up Mach and I uh, and they're like, hey man, can you help us erase our identities? Um, and he's like, wow, that would be extremely illegal, but you did save my life. So, you know. I guess I can do something extremely illegal when you save my life. You do have to come in person to the DMV, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, you do. <laughs> you do need to come to the DMV on Earth too, not the Mars DMV. It's got to be the Earth one. Um, you know, they don't really talk to each other. So, um, but uh, we also learn in this that Takaki is now working for Makanai. Um, there's a little hey, Takaki, how's it going? Um, yeah, so receive an email from uh, Aze 
uh, who we now see wearing, uh, or Ozzy, who we now see wearing Nase's suit, um, with like the hat and everything, uh, just like real, really like supporting my, my, uh, interpretation that, that she is just extremely gay and butch. Um, <laughs> uh, right, she takes over with... the role as the, the, uh, husband to all of these women. Yeah. Hard to argue um, when we get, yeah. Yeah. When the, we get this development. Yeah. <laughs> when we get this butch swagger on screen. Um, but uh, she offers to uh, use Tewa's ships to help smuggle them off of Mars. And they're like, oh, finally, the missing piece of our plan. This is how we're going to get off Mars. Um, you know, we'll get it's already, we Tewa's. have a train ticket to Florida. We <laughs> finally get out of New York. Like, it all came together. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so Orga's like, well, you know, uh, Kudalia and Atra, because they're going to go, like, hide out at Kudalia's place. Um, you know, Bye. Uh, everything's good now. Uh, thanks again for hiring us, uh, helping make us who we were. Like you were the ones who, who picked us in the first place. Uh, and so like the Tekadon itself is in part, um, you know, because of you and they kind of laugh over the, over her idealism. Uh, Kudeli in particular is like, I was so arrogant back then. Um, and Orga's like, no, still like your idealism isn't like, that silly like still tried to make those dreams a reality um you know again s- things are jovial uh leaving everything's everything's coming up orga uh, and as they're going to the car they are attacked by i put a small gatlerhorn force we are going to learn that this is actually um noblest noblest gordon's like people uh but it's unclear at first in this episode who this is um and uh Chad takes a bullet, uh, but Orca in particular, like, shields ride with his body um, and gets shot multiple times in the back and then sort of, like, fires with Mika's pistol, uh, which drives the, the um, you know, hitmen away. Um, and then Orga is fatally wounded, bleeding out, uh, but stands up and says, I'm the boss of Tekadon, Orga Itzka. Uh, this is nothing to me. Protecting my members is my job. Uh, shut up and let's go. Everyone's waiting. And then tries to walk forward. Um, but then falls over. Um, and as he dies, he thinks, I think he's like, hasn't even fallen over at this point, but he thinks, uh, I finally understand now, Mika. We don't need any destinations. We just need to keep moving forward. As long as we don't stop, the road will continue. Um, and remembers Orga saying that, or Mika saying that he won't like, Orga apologize um, and sort of response to that memory. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm not stopping. As long as all of you don't stop, I'll be there. Or I'll be at the end waiting for you. And then he falls over dead. Um, uh, and oh, and like final words is so hear me well. Don't you ever stop. Um, and then we get this like image of Orga. This is like a little bit over the top for me, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of him like, fallen over we like get the bloody steps from like the pool of blood from where when he was shot and then him falling over and then he has like his hand outstretched with his finger pointed and then like blood starts running uh in a line from his finger forward um and then we we cut to mika connected to barbados uh and suddenly asking orga um because the show finally decided to do a little bit of new type stuff just for dramatic irony yeah just th- th- sprinkle it in at the end yeah a few few uh <laughs> you know red herrings yeah um 
Episode 49, McGillis Fareed. Uh, Ride contacts Tekanon and informs them of Orca's death. Uh, and then we see everyone's reactions. Um, this is a... This is a tough, tough episode. Uh, yeah. Mika calls everyone together and delivers a speech. Uh, wherein he talks about uh, Orga's vision for the place that they belong, uh, affirms Orga's continued presence in his heart. Um, like he's not, uh, he hasn't lost direction because Orga's dead. You know, he has Orga still um, and knows what he needs to do. Uh, and reminds everyone of Orga's last command, uh, basically saying, live till you die. Um, so the c- command now being, um, or, or I guess once again, um, in a kind of parallel to his command at the end of Edmonton, um, you know, live, just like find, figure out how to live. Um, we see Rustle getting off the phone with Noblis, uh, who has just informed him of Orga's death. Uh, Julieta and Gailio are present there as well. And Julieta talks with Rustle about her devotion and trust for him, uh, contrasting it to the adults who have taken advantage of Tekadon. Um, seemingly uh, indicating uh, a kind of growing empathy for Tekadon from Julieta. Uh, Rustle, um, to his credit, <laughs> uh, reminds her that he is one of the corrupt adults uh, who takes advantage uh, kind of owning his, like, you know, uh, his machinations uh, and his dishonesty. Uh, and Julieta acknowledges this, but nonetheless uh, affirms her belief that he has a cause he's doing it for. Um, and that, uh, you know, that's also her cause. Back at Tekadon, we see them making preparations for battle. Uh, the plan is for a small force uh to hold off the Aryan Road attack uh, while the others escape through the tunnel. Uh, and the battle begins with Mika, Akihiro, Hush, Dante, uh, Eugene, uh, Eugene notably piloting uh, Orga's Shiden, uh, and then some of the younger members uh, like charging into battle. I can't remember if Chad is in here or not. Yeah, I, I don't. I like I assume that he was, but I I don't remember seeing him when I rewatched it. Yeah, um, that that other boy who came up who lost an arm, I think might be in here. No, Akihiro doesn't let him fight. Oh, that's right. There's a scene where he's like asking yeah, Akihiro he, to fight. He wants to. Yeah, yeah, and Akihiro is like, no. Um, you know, I remember something came up with him. Yeah. Um, on McGillis's ship. Meanwhile. We see him dismiss his remaining troops uh, because he's planning to go out by himself to kill Elyon. Um, he says essentially like uh, at this point, you know, just me is enough strength to, to win this battle. Uh, and ever- this will go. <laughs> yeah. And everyone around him is kind of like, uh, okay. Um, that makes no sense, but that's, that's cool. Um <laughs> Uh, and McGillis launches in bile. Uh, we cut quickly back to Earth, where uh, Lord Bodwin tries to convince Almeria to leave McGillis's house. Uh, I guess this is McGillis's house. Yeah. Uh, but she, uh, you know, doubles down um, that she's McGillis's wife and won't leave him. Um, 
she says uh she even though she hasn't forgiven him for what he's done um nonetheless she she is his wife and so his sins are her sins and they will face uh you know face them together um back in space Megillus assaults Restless forces uh Gileo sorties and engages him uh back on earth there's a lot of cross cutting here back on earth hush is the first of the Tekadon pilots to be killed uh he stays resolute as he's dying telling Mika he will catch up with him no matter what uh and Mika you know um being like yeah I, I know you will um all right I'll leave these troops to you uh when you know hush is like essentially dead uh, back in space, Rustal and his forces watch as Megillus and Gailio have their final battle. Uh, Rustal is seen, uh, like, telling his commander or whatever, like, no, don't launch any of the other ships or uh, the other suits. Uh, just let Megillus and Gailio have it out because I want to see. Uh, until this is over, like, don't intervene. Uh, after a pretty brutal duel... Uh, Gileo mortally wounds Megillus to Megillus's disbelief. They crash into the hangar of Elion's ship, and Megillus escapes from Bile in the chaos, navigating through the ship in an attempt to access the bridge and shoot Elion. Uh, as he approaches the bridge, Gileo confronts him. Megillus shoots Gileo's mask off, but doesn't wound him, uh, and Gileo restrains Megillus as he slowly bleeds out. Uh, dying, Megillus admits that he did always uh, see Gileo. I put C in qu- uh, quotation marks here. Um, uh, just to indicate that um, yeah, this is Gileo's language, uh, that Megillus is looking past him, uh, doesn't see him. Um, uh, basically, like, you know, recognition and acknowledgement. Um, Megillus admits that he, he always did see him. Uh, and valued his friendship. But those feelings were a threat to his ultimate ambition. Um, and I think subtext here uh, implied that the feelings were also like too painful uh, for Megillus, given everything else. Uh, so he forced himself to turn away from them. Uh, Gileo starts crying and is taken aback when Megillus points it out. Uh, he didn't like, doesn't realize that he's crying and, uh, you know, is, doesn't understand why. Uh, Megillus then reaches out to Gileo and seems uh, like he reaches out his hand and seems to be about to tell him, uh, you know, I, you were really like my friend. Um, the same thing that he says, uh, you know, after supposedly killing him. Uh, but Gileo stops him yelling that if Megillus says that he might actually forgive him, uh, like swats his hand away. Um and Megillus then dies without saying anything else. Um, episode 50, their place, um, which obviously has double meaning here uh, of, you know, putting them in their place, but also the, we've had all the talk about like Tychodon's place and finding a place. Um, so anyway, uh, Zach and the others break through the tunnels underground while the battle rages above. Um, and Zach says that he'll be waiting for Hush, uh, we get a shot of, you know, Hush dead in the cockpit. Um, 
the battle rages as the OP plays. Uh, this episode in particular just like uh, has full animation under the OP and uh, I think all of the ED as well. Um, but uh, for the OP, mostly it's battle raging. Uh, but we do get uh, Mika giving the order for the rest to retreat uh, now that they've broken through underground. And uh, they'll still need to protect people when they get to uh, Crease. Um, and like on the way to Earth. Um, and so, you know, the, there were many people retreat, uh, but Mika and Akihiro, uh, remain to sort of be the final, uh, you know, bulwark against the Yatlerhorn forces, uh, while people retreat. Um, we get, uh, Iak again being like, put me out champ. Uh, I, I can do, or put me out coach. I can do this. Um, wants to go out and face them. Um, and do you really just Eok, like though? Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, Mika and Akihiro are just making short work of all the other Gatlahorn grunts. Uh, we just get a lot of, you know, the Zaku getting blown up by the, <laughs> the RX 78 too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Julieta is like, hold back. Like, <laughs> For the Let millionth time. Out. For the millionth time. You suck at this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get Maribit making it through the tunnels um, and, uh, you know, comes up and finds Ride um, and uh, sort of has this moment of like confronting him a little bit because he's blaming himself for, for Orga's death. Um, and she's like, no, like we wouldn't be here uh, if, you know, made it to this point. Like if, uh, you all hadn't done what you did. Uh, you were the one who contacted us and like, let us know that, you know, the, the, you'd found the other side and everything and everything was clear. Um, we'll see how much this like really comforts, right. But, um, she does try. Um, uh, as Tegadon is moving through the tunnel, uh, Dane realizes that he can't hear the sound of fighting above anymore. um, and uh, we find out that this is because in orbit above Mars, uh, Rustle has amassed another uh, downslave team to basically just fire straight down at Tekadon. Um, and specifically, uh, seems like the, the main target they're aiming for is Mikazuki in Barbados. Um, and so we, we get it all firing down. And I think like one in particular goes through Barbados. Yeah. Um, one of the the rails i guess the like arrows that they're firing yeah with the rail guns. projectile yeah um and so bleeding in the cockpit uh mikazuki uh sort of drifts through the this darkness um you know possibly really losing consciousness consciousness in this moment um and sort of returns to the day when he and orga met uh which he describes as the day he was born um and uh you know sort of breaks out of this a little bit and Mika and Barbados rise up again, uh, pull that like railgun bolt out of the, the body of Barbados. Um, and Gatlin is shocked by this, that, you know, this didn't just like completely do him in, um, and say that he must be the real devil. Um, Eok rushes in, um, being like, I'll finish him off. And, uh, Akihiro, <laughs> Uh, in the Gusion Rebake Full City, uh, also rises up. I think he's also been like hit by by one of the rails. Um, yeah, I forget. Yeah, um, he's been shredded as well. Yeah, um, and uh, you know he strikes Eok, um, 
Barbados uh, sets about ravaging the Gatlahern forces once more. Um, and so Julieta, you know, rushes in to attack him. Um, Eok tries to, like, strike Akihiro, but then uh, Akihiro, like, he has this, like, uh, you know, clamp weapon that he's using right now. Uh, and so he just, like, clamps onto to Eok's cockpit and just, like, crushes him to death in it. Um, also realizing yeah. that, like... Because Eok is like, oh, I'm Eok Kujan. And Akihiro's like, oh, you're Eok, like the guy who like tried to murder all of the turbines. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like acknowledging that he's like about to be struck down by, you know, the rest of Eok's men who are surrounding him. But like, you know, if I can live long enough, I get to crush a guy like you. This is great. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, life uh, really does. Uh, does hand you a, a a good uh a good death sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So uh Eok dies here. He gets crushed to death. Um finally. Finally. <laughs> uh so Julieta and uh Mika face off. Um and Julieta uh says to Mika, uh what cause do you have to fight such a purposeless battle? Uh, Mika says, cause, what's that? Purposeless? Maybe. I've never had any purpose, but, and then trails off and, you know, goes and kills some more Gatlerhorn forces. Um, and so then finishes, uh, but now I have purpose that Orga uh, gave to me. Um, I used to have nothing at all, but so many things are overflowing from my hands now. Uh, and as he's saying this, we see images of the farm and Atra and uh, Kudelio holding hands, sort of, you know, hoping that he'll be all right. Um, and uh, remarks, that's it. We'd already made it. What is it with you? Uh, and then um, I figured this was an important conversation, so I read it out. Julieta says, "Was what is it with you? Uh, with no cause to commit to, why? Um, and then Mika charges Julieta. Uh, but she deals this final blow against him, sort of like uh, cutting off like part of the cockpit, revealing him inside um, and notes that he's already unconscious or seems to be. Um, and as Mika fades away, he thinks uh, that place where we truly belong. Right, Orga. Um, and Julieta drives the blade through Barbados's head and sort of lifts it up aloft. Um, and then we get uh, blood running down Mika's arm over the, the bracelet that Atra made for him. Um, and he thinks, I've gotten it dirty again. Atra's going to be mad at me. I wonder if Kudelia will help me apologize to her. Uh, at this line, this is when I start crying at Mika's death. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very sad This is moment. a rough one. Yeah, his final thoughts just being sort of of them. Um, and, you know, feeling bad that they're not going to like that this happened. Um, we, we then get the, the, like, uh, you know, I catch title card as they do in this. Um, and when we come back, um, we start learning about the aftermath and we'll sort of quickly piece together that like a time skip has happened. Um, but we learn that in the aftermath, the events, uh, you know, basically all of this stuff has become known as the McGillis Farid incident. Um, and by doing this swift resolution, uh, you know, taking down Tekadon, uh, Gatlerhorn and also McGillis, uh, Gatlerhorn regained their reputation. Um, the seven stars were disbanded, uh, since three of the families, the issue Kujan and Farid families were, were all killed off. So there's only four stars remaining. 
Um, and it's said in favor of a more democratic system. Um, although what, what that one is, of the, we don't, we don't get elaboration. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the, uh, the first, <clears throat> uh, you know, the first elected ruler is one of the four, like heads of the families is yeah. Rustle Elion, who, who's one of the seven stars already. Um, uh, we also learned that <clears throat> he reduced the size of Gatlinburg's Mars branch, um, and sort of as a result of this, uh, the economic blocks pulled out of the colonies. Uh, this enabled the sort of you know Martian autonomy. Um, with the help of Tewaz, uh, it sort of noted that like you know Kudelia did this work, but also people say like she couldn't have done it without without Tewaz. Um, but uh, the Martian Union has started, and she's the first Union chairperson. So, um, almost like it becoming another economic block uh, seems to be what's happening here. Um, but like a Mars one. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, uh, people began to forget about Tekadon. Um, and uh, I think this is when we get the shot of who we're going to learn is Ride, but he he's you know significantly older here um I'll, we might get one earlier as well um but like standing at the grave um holding it holding a pistol um then uh we sort of cut from this like narrative style to an actual scene of Rustel and Kudelia signing the human debris uh abolishment abolition uh, abolishment treaty i was trying to abolition but abolition meant yes <laughs> yeah human uh, debris has been abolished <laughs> yes human debris has been abolished uh by Russell and and kudelia um after the signing kudelia says uh she used to have a family uh who were human debris and they died a noble death um she's saying this to to Russell and to uh julietta who uh, engineered that noble of, death yeah julietta kind of uh ha- has a little look of like we're we're kind of just letting some of the these people go, right? Like we know that she's talking about Takedon, right? Yeah. <laughs> um but um yeah, and Kudelia says that she just hopes that she can live up to the you know, Takedon's ex she doesn't say Takedon, but Takedon's expectations for her. Um we get a little bit more of, you know, obviously Julietta is still working for Rustle. Um and we get like her being at least a little bit flirty with Gileo, who yeah. now uses a wheelchair. Um, they're gonna go eat meat together yeah um you know and there's like some some a little bit of banter happening here definitely um yeah and uh you know amidst the banter they talk about how she might be the next leader of gatlahern so the elective election system could mean that a, a valiant knight like her who killed the devil um would be able to be the leader as well and yeah, not the, just the seven stars the election system could mean could mean that the uh handpicked successor of the current leader uh becomes yeah. the next leader <laughs> um but specifically at the like comment of the knight that killed the devil uh julietta says um that uh she doesn't actually think the Tekadon were devils, uh, that to seize power, you must retain your humanity. Um, and that she actually thinks the Tekadon were more human than anyone else. Um, they fought not for some ambition or purpose, but rather simply to live on as humans. Um, which is, you know, a bit of a, a reverse of the way that she was talking about Tekadon previously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We we learn that Takaki is secretary to the new Arbrow Prime Minister, uh, because in the time skip, Makanai has passed away. Uh, we actually find that out with the Human Debris uh, Abolishment Treaty, which is signed at like a a building named after uh, Makanai after his death. <clears throat> um, and they do it there because Kudelia was like, he also cared about this issue. Um, and apparently did some work before his death to like further enable this. Um, anyway, um, we also see Eugene as Cudelia's bodyguard. So, you know, we're getting a little bit of like where various members of Tekadon went. Um, we also learn that, uh, some members work for Cudelia at, uh, Admos or at the orphanage. Um, I forget who it is. Who's at the orphanage, but it's, it's like uh, a very Dante. cute. Yeah. Dante. It's a very cute, like cut away to him. Just like. <laughs> trying to wrangle some toddlers. Um, and, uh, you know, Ride's whereabouts are unknown to to them, uh, but we see him uh, assassinate uh, Noblis Gordon while uh, Noblis is taking a shit. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great little sequence. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not everyone has, has just, like, fully moved on. Uh, Ride is obviously still kind of... Um, seeking revenge and stuff for like what happened to Orga. Um, Kudelia says that they all need to keep walking forward for their family who died wishing for their happiness. Um, in this, we, we also learn there's like this comment of, uh, Oh, you can Ojo a Maribit. They're going to have their second kid. Um, and Kudelia is like, speaking of kids, uh, I should go home, you know, cause I, I forget if they like ask her, if she will like wants to go do something or, yeah, they're like, well. we're going to go she, drinking after this. Yeah. She's like, I've been away from for a bit. Like, I, I you know, had to travel for work, and I, I just want to go home. Uh, and so we get her returning home to her loving wife, Atra, and their child, uh, Akatsuki. Uh, Akatsuki um, has, like, Atra's hair color, but, uh, you know, looks otherwise exactly similar like to, Mika. to Mika. Yeah. Um, and he's got all three bracelets. Um, unclear if... It's like the original ones are not, but has the, you know, the three colors. Um, and they comment that uh, his hands in particular are, uh, you know, big and a lot like Mika's um, and describe them as the hands that will grasp the future. Um, and then we finish with Kudelia saying, uh, while she's here with her loving family, I'm in love. Uh, even if it's forgotten amidst the passing of time. This world that Tekadon built for us. I love this world that you left for us. Um, one week after this episode came out, at an official of like Gundam event, uh, they explicitly confirmed that Atra and Kudelia are married. Um, this is like canon. If you look up like things where they talk about it, it'll say like uh, relationship. You know, for Kudelia, like Atra, wife. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Akatsuki, like stepson or whatever. Um, <clears throat> even with this knowledge, so I, I I was looking into like I stumbled on this when I was trying to look up some additional stuff. Um, because I was trying to find details about like that specific event where they announced it to see like what else was was said about it. Um, but uh, there was people responding to it on Reddit, and I just want to make fun of these people. Um, it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm watching this, like, within the scene, I think it's, like, fairly clear that, like, 
uh, they have like built a family together that it, like is a very <laughs> loving and like uh, gay family. Yes, it is very clear. Um, yes, uh, and you know, I feel like I have a cat trying to break in. There we go. Um, and it, like official sources have confirmed that they are married. So I, while I was trying to find more from some of those official sources, I found this Reddit thread uh, that started with somebody basically being like, uh, the ending doesn't make sense. Why are like Kudalia and Atra married? And I'm just like, did you watch the show? <laughs> we've had like two seasons of them, like developing a relationship. Yeah. Uh, we've had more like direct development between their relationships, like between the, the two of them than between either of them and Mika. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this person says, uh, you know, starts it off being like, you know, to them, it makes sense. Uh, I think they are trying their best to be good parents, which neither Atra, Kudelia, or Mika had ever experienced. Can't forget that all of Mika's and Atra's earnings during their time at Tekadon are tied to Kudelia's investments. Pretty sure that any assets that are in Tekadon's name are still frozen and have been forfeited. More marriage between uh, Kudelia and Atra is the best way to prepare Akatsuki for the future, raising him and an inheritance, and avoid an audit by Mars IRS. Um, and then someone else says every possible uh, explanation besides, <laughs> yes, besides the the gay one, um, right? Yeah, and they're like, oh, if that's the reason, I would be cool with this. I just don't no, think I'd they love cool each other it. like that. <laughs> Maybe it's just the girls I've been around, but the way Kudelia and Atra talked uh, to me sounded more like how two female best friends talk. I don't know. It seems a bit random to me. Um, and then someone else is like, I agree with you. I believe Kudelia is fulfilling Mika's dying wish by taking care of Atra and Akatsuki. Based on their interactions, their relationships appear to be that of two sisters. All of these people <laughs> dealt shit cards in their entire life, and if marriage can make the lives of their children better, more power to them. <laughs> personally i enjoy the slice of life parts of ibo blah 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 um i just think it's it's hilarious how much people will will be like yeah obviously they got married for tax evasion reasons the mars irs Uh, yeah yeah uh they're trying to evade taxes uh let's not question why uh kudelia atra and mika all had their funds in the same bank account um (laughs) yeah uh, why was Atra doing that as well? We're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> my favorite, my favorite portion of those is the one is when he's like, seems a bit random to me. Seems <laughs> random. <laughs> like what? <laughs> it couldn't possibly be less random. Yeah, it's no. like been built up to consistently, <laughs> like amply. <laughs> yeah, for for the whole like entirety of the you know series yeah uh, yeah that's wild it's like hey yeah. yeah that part where mcgillis is like yeah i really want like power to change stuff that was kind of random <laughs> why do you just like randomly start saying that in the at the end before yeah. he died um <laughs> yeah that's amusing people are gay steven <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. If I mean, if you want to go through like the whole every reason why it's obvious, like we can. Um, I don't what it, <laughs> I, I feel like it's self evident, but it, it doesn't have to be the discussion of like uh, 
Otter and Cordelia's like relationship and their family doesn't have to be couched if in that purpose. I know you will want to probably talk about it in another yeah. through another lens. I mean, I think the part that that I particularly enjoy with this conclusion because there's like obviously tragedy happening around this, um, but I, I think that the show. I mean, I talked about this when this stuff first got introduced. I think there's a smart thing happening here where um, these sorts of love triangles are like a staple of a lot of media, including anime. Um, And within anime, there's also sort of this like harem anime style version of it. Um, And I think it's like uh, particularly... Like one is just like a, an interesting way to develop this stuff where instead of it being like the, the stayed, like they are just in conflict with each other and feel jealous because they both like the same boy um, or it like really being played just like for the male fantasy of like the guy gets to have both women, which you, you do get some of, um, but it specifically ends on like, no, like they have this like very genuine connection that like persists beyond like their relationship to to Mika is obviously still informed by that. Like the the kid and stuff is this like reminder of this other person they loved. But the way it's being portrayed is like all three of them loving each other and like these two of them still in love and like having to to carry on after losing Mika. Yeah. But having each other for support. Um and I, I think the way a lot of it plays too is like often smartly using a little bit of some of the tropes, but like uh, adjusting it and playing with it in a way where it is actually getting at like the certain awkwardness that they are having around. Like um, this is not like the way that they are expected to have relationships. It, it, it They are still operating in a world that seems to be, you know, fairly heteronormative. Um, and then like having the space where they like develop this, this other way of relating to relationships Um where it's not a competition between them, where they actually develop that love for each other, uh, that we see that process throughout two seasons um, of them becoming like closer and, you know, uh, all the ways that they are, are, are developing this love for each other. And then like have like a, a certain natural awkwardness about this and the way that they also have about like just sex in general with Mika and stuff. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like believable awkwardness that's happening as they're like trying to navigate this. Um, but that it, it specifically comes to this like conclusion of um, they have still formed this relationship in part because of like the, you know, Tekadon and, and Mika and everything. But like that persists um, in the same way that like Akatsuki is also this like, uh, you know, looking towards the future. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree with, about the awkwardness, um, cause I think I hadn't really, uh, thought about it as like serving that purpose, um, in terms of like making it like, uh, really like organic and, uh, deeply felt, um, yeah. but I think, like, for the viewer, the awkwardness is, uh, is like, palpable in a lot of those moments. Uh, and it's even called out by Kudelia, you know, in that, like, 
kind of ultimate moment where they're like hugging each other and Cordelia makes the promise. Um, yeah. But that seems to be like a, a tipping point for Cordelia where she's like, um, you know, she like Autra's like, well, you can have, you know, Mika's baby. And then Mika's like, oh, do you also want <laughs> to have a child, you know, with me? Uh, and she's like, kind of snapping back in this into this kind of like reactive like uh oh you know like fumbling uh like trying not to uh like it's it's difficult for her to like articulate you know that that she wants that or even like converse about those desires uh yeah. and then she just like you know stops midstream and starts laughing um and then is like oh you know we're so, we're so awkward uh and then they like come together and uh you know hug and share that moment of intimacy yeah um, uh and it and it ends up being again i think it's like tweaking like cuz there is like this awkwardness that's like often played just for comedy um in a lot of like har- uh harem like kind of anime sex comedy stuff um, but it's tweaking it in this way to like actually get at something genuine about like navigating relationships with people where sometimes it is just kind of like a little bit awkward and like Kudelia is talking about this, like, um, you know, I, I am in this like polyamorous relationship where I'm feeling jealousy about like what happened, but also happiness at the same time. And like, how do I navigate that? Um, and so that all comes off as like uh, actually deeply genuine and and you know strengthening more of what like this ending has. So, um. in terms of the uh, like the big picture of the ending, because I feel like you know it's something that I'm I'm still like uh, as I said before um, processing my feelings about the ending of this series. Yeah. Um, so much happens, <laughs> but like, I guess the, uh, the, the question that, that I, uh, feel like kind of gets at, at the heart of what I'm thinking is like, what's your take on the state of the world <laughs> at the end of this show? Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there's a way to be. Like, I, I think some of it is a, um, Russell in particular is like so focused on order and peace and everything. Um, and so I think there's a certain amount to which like, uh, Tekadon has helped like create this, this better world, but also it's not like everything is fixed. Um, yeah. And part of what has happened is just like, uh, uh, a change in Gatlerhern that is like in the interest of um like peace and its own continuation is going to like take in some amount of what like the the opposition to it wants in order to like continue to persist um and so like especially the the biggest thing that we see is the like uh you know, pulling out some of the like economic blocks from Mars, uh, and a- allowing like Mars to become its own economic block. Yeah. The decolonization um, of Mars, in other words. Yes. Um, 
which is like a, <clears throat> a a good thing, but is also a thing that's not like um, you know, it's improving conditions for for like Mars as a, a you know nation state or whatever we want to refer to it as, um, but also is not like upending the all of the inequities that exist in this world. Um, I mean, we we saw how like even in some of the other economic blocks, there's still things that are happening. Um, and then also like, uh, you know, the, the specific like thing that gets the abolishment, um, is this like human debris thing, but especially in like Gatlahern's interest of like, well, let's like keep the peace. Like having a bunch of child soldiers does not help that. So there's like, there is some self-interest happening there as well. Um, and so it's like, there is this space for, uh, you know, in the wake of what, what Tekadon did. Um, and I think also like a certain recognition that they have, even as they like used Tekadon as, as scapegoats, um, of like the poor position that Tekadon was put in. Uh, there is like some space for these improvements, but it also doesn't mean like radical world upheaval. Um, you know, specifically like, I think, uh, uh, Improvement of the conditions for like Mars in particular. Um, yeah, like an actual revolution like, has not happened. Yeah, yeah, that's not like uh, toppled everything. Um, and I and I think it has like some contrast too with like uh, in some ways like McGillis was pushing for something that was like a far deeper like upheaval, uh, but also like this deep commitment to some of the the ideas of Gatlahern as well. Um, and like some of that stuff just gets like discarded. It feels like, um, there's like a little bit less of that. They're, they're like willing up to give a little bit of the, that like history. Um, and, uh, all of that in order to like maintain power as an organization. Um, yeah. Cause they still do. I mean, they regain power and yes uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and we see we see that in various ways like uh you know very obviously rustle we've we're told <laughs> that gallahorn is like stabilized and rustle is now you know the head um but we also get uh there's uh i can't remember what episode it is but a couple episodes earlier um when McGillis like dies, we have Rustle commenting, um, like gleefully, like, oh yes, like McGillis's person will take on a great deal of historical significance after this and will come to represent yeah. like, you know, what happens to the foolish person who's obsessed with power, um, who like defies, you know, Gallerhorn, uh, and like these ideals that, you know, the Gallerhorn that I represent, uh, stands for like basically, you know, uh, and then we learn, uh, in the time skip that's narrated, uh, yeah, this series of events became known as the Megillus Farid incident. Uh, so like, you know, the record of history, uh, which presumably is, uh, created or heavily influenced by the Gallarhorn regime um, has like 
almost completely erased Tekadon, um, and like the meaning of Tekadon, uh, and like all of these events, uh, have become like flattened to like Megillus Farid. Um, yeah. And like, you know, historical record or memory or whatever. Um, yeah. And of like someone trying to like seize power within Gatlahern rather than, um, Tekadon being something that might be like actually more revolutionary as like an idea to persist. Exactly. Yeah. Tekadon like being a thing that contains all of this other meaning, which we've like talked about, um, you know, throughout these discussions, uh, is now like flattened. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of a case of Rustle telling us what he's going to do, uh, and then doing it. Um, you know, so now this like, uh, and, and I think there's a subtext to Cordelia's narration as well, um, where she talks about, um, I mean, she calls this out. Uh, people will forget that behind the instance Megillus caused, there's a group of children called Tekadon who only knew how to fight, uh, like a flower blooming on the side of the road that isn't noticed. Um, so there's some sort of like loss here as well um, that feels really significant uh to me um even as like yeah you know we have these reforms like essentially you know slavery is abolished and uh you know the colony is like uh gains like you know free uh independence um and those things on the surface are like Oh yeah, like you know, those are things that that they wanted at the beginning, uh, that were like a, you know aspirations for justice, uh, and they've gained them like in this way, uh, yeah. but also like still within the context of um, you know a, a kind of Gallarhorn hegemony. It seems like, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, just like gesturing at the volumes of post-colonial theory, uh, that would no doubt, uh, be relevant (laughs) here that, uh, but you know, that I'm not prepared to, uh, engage with, unfortunately. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot to be said, uh, along those lines. Um, I also think about like, The all, so if Megillus like won, like Megillus's revolution or whatever, which you brought up. Yeah. You know, what does that even look like? Like, is that really because he doesn't really articulate uh what his the structure of society will be, you know? Yeah. Uh he's just like, well, I want everyone to have like equal rights. Which seems to be achieved, um, and again in the show, it's like uh, Cudelia in that like kind of epilogue uh, speech. Cudelia is like, "Oh yeah, part of the ideal that McGillis envisioned uh, a world where equal rights are given to every person." Um, you know, we have that now. Uh, but then, aside from that, like, do we really think that McGillis Farid being like the dictator of Gallarhorn? is 
turning out better than, <laughs> than this. Uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, I also don't know. McGillis, what- McGillis's idea seems to be um, the divine right of kings is fine if the king is really good. <laughs> and obviously I'm going to be a really good king. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like if the king's a great guy who's like helping everybody out, um, then nobody has an issue with the king and that's going to be me. Yeah. And like, oh yeah, this, you know, people should be free, but only to become strong and like compete with one another Mm. to become the strongest. Uh, We shouldn't like restrain people from becoming powerful and like, you know, uh, gaining like status through power. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because of like arbitrary, you know, social like mores and structures. Uh, yeah, which is like, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe actually a worse vision of society than even what, you know, Rustle achieves. Yeah. And what Rustle achieves, I mean, to return to like the the medieval versus like modernity thing, uh, there is also like this mo- modernizing of like moving out of a what seems to be a more of a feudal system into like a, a more, uh, you know, modern democratic system um where like ostensibly in in like you know modern democracy there there is like more equality among people than in like a feudal system um that also doesn't mean that there isn't still like (laughs) oppression and and um you know discrimination and uh all sorts of power systems where people get power and retain power and hold on to power um and and exploit others and so on yeah yeah uh and so some of this ending too is like well um you know like the magna carta got signed (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah um it it does have the the vibe of like i i think of like you know a lot of i feel like there's a lot of uh Maybe not direct references, but like the the show is very engaged with like you know twentieth century history, um, yeah, and all of this like decolonization stuff. Um, and it's like okay, yeah, you know, like Charles de Gaulle is president now, uh, and like you know we're uh, we've like decolonized Africa, but like the form that like oppression takes. Uh, you know, like it, it, it turns out that, uh, like, you know, decolonization, uh, doesn't just usher in like a period of, you know, this total like freedom and equality amongst nations or whatever. Um, there's still like all of these forms of oppression. It's just a different system that is now like ushered in. Um, and so, uh, and I, I was really intrigued by, the scene of Ride assassinating Noblis, uh, with yeah. this in mind, where like the series throws in, um, like this remnant or this, uh, like reminder of like, um, even as like the ending of the show, the framing like makes it feel like, uh, you know, peaceful and like it's like a positive framing, seemingly. Um, Mm -hmm. you have this, like, 
glimpse at like, oh no, there's still like uh, this violence, like not only because of like history and what's happened, like it's going to continue to reverberate, um, but also just because like, you know, the new world that's ushered in is going to like invariably uh, like have um, like dynamics of violence and oppression uh, that are like represented by like, you know, ride who's this like younger um, there, there's like a, a bifurcation and um, with the Tekadon members, like the, the older ones have now like moved on and taken jobs and stuff. Um, but yeah. like the younger generation is going to have like their own, um, you know, like violence uh, and like their own uh, like struggles with oppression or whatever. Um, yeah. The, just the new forms that exist. And and somewhat related to this too, like an, another little thing that's like a, a small detail in this. And again, there's like sort of happy framing around this, but like when they specifically talk about the orphanage, when we get Dante in the orphanage, it's like around like, um, we need to like hire more people and Gudalia being like, yeah, we're going to have to hire a lot more people now that this like, uh, we've abolished human debris because there's just going to be a lot more orphans that like we have to take care of yeah um there's a lot more kids and, who have no place in the system now yeah and it doesn't like uh you know fully go but th- there is still an implication there of like um the you know abolishing human debris uh objectively a good thing for this world uh that you know has been described it's still creating like this other social situation that is going to need to be dealt with um where there are just like people who don't have a place in the system. Um, and you can so easily envision like the, the political arguments that would happen between like, oh, well, how much money are we spending on, you know, taking care of the orphans or whatever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in like a very cynical way, like human debris is a solution to the problem of orphans. Um, you know, and obviously I don't believe that it's like a good solution. Not like a just but, solution. Yes. But like, but, a solution it, within it the is, system. Yeah, within the system, it is like, I think, a, it is a, a solution that has existed and that the system has been happy with. So, um, yeah, yeah, you can see where there's like also these tensions. Um, even as I think it's still, uh, uh, um, ultimately, like this, you know, this is a, a more hopeful ending than you might think when you like see everyone dying. <laughs> yeah. So, it's also like, um, it's, it's a very sobering ending in that, yeah. like, you know, I think if you're a person who watches a lot of anime, like we are, um, even knowing that IBO is like, uh, maybe more critically, uh, engaged with the like standard anime themes uh, of its genre. And also, uh, you know, taking more risks with the narrative. Um, I'm still like cued in to like, certain expectations uh about you know like i'm th- i'm still thinking that tekken on going into these episodes i did not think that tekken on was sh- like that these the majority of these episodes was going to be about tekken on like trying like surrendering and trying to retreat <laughs> yeah um but it is like they're just like defeated and the last five episodes are them being like defeated and completely pivoting from like Oh yeah, like you know, 
we're like fighting for our like freedom and like status um and having success and like here's the power of our like belief um to like okay that fails <laughs> uh the monolithic like you know uh representative like symbol of you know the hegemonic system uh which is rustle like has its authority reasserted <laughs> and like wins this war you know mcgillis just like dies in indignity uh yeah. so like all of his stuff uh around like bile um you know which is like in in certain ways reflecting tekadon um that's like snuffed out uh it's just like a there's so much like failure uh yeah. to like a lot of what is happening in the you know the whole narrative leading up to this and it like ends on this failure uh and like the reassertion you know the antagonist depending on how you define that like wins and just gets everything he wants (laughs) yeah uh and then it's like you know that's the like uh that's like the headline and then like within that though um it's carving out like uh you know these like smaller it's like well you know what happens like within that can you still have like uh victories or positives within that um or is this like can this new world be hospitable um to like a good life for these people um yeah and i appreciate that the show is like um just in uh fully like engages with that complexity and is like yes <laughs> um you know even with like the failure of all it's it's not black and white you know like oh the yeah. revolutionary movement failed like so then that that just means that like everything is is horrible and there's no like nuance to uh you know or possibility in the lives of these individuals or that like the new world that uh or like the slightly reformed world that follows um is like not different at all um because you know of, of course it is yeah um also uh, uh note in all of this is i think it's cuz i talked sometimes about like the quiet revolution that the atra was doing uh this like very interpersonal revolution um and it, it is like uh interesting and, and meaningful to me, I think, that uh like hers is the one that's seem is seemingly the most successful aside from like obviously the loss of Mika. But um like this ending specifically like the the returning home to uh Atra and Ak- uh Akatsuki is like the most uh overtly like this is just a a like happy moment, um, even in the face of Mika's death. Um, yeah like if if mika was there you know i think it would be easier to just like recognize it as like oh yeah this is the like you know the future that like mika you know that we all wanted for mika and that mika wanted where he's like on the farm now you know yeah um but like the fact that he's not there um 
I think in a certain way, like, of course it's like, you know, tragic because Mika like doesn't make it there. Um, but that vision is like realized, you know, it's just like Atra and Kudelia and Akatsuki who get to, uh, who get to live it and not Mika. Yeah. Um, as a note, uh, Akatsuki here, uh, being a sun-based phenomenon rather than a moon-based one, yeah, the, uh, Mikatsuki the dawn. being the crescent moon, but yeah, here we have, uh, Akatsuki meaning dawn. Uh, it's also a combination of, like, uh, characters that exist in, like, Mika, uh, Mikazuki obviously has the, you know, similar assonance and, uh, the actual character, like, Ki as well as Ka, um, then um orga um uh itsuki so you get the like tsuki from orga itsuki um you also get like uh akihiko in here a little bit or akihiro in this a little bit um there's some other name i feel like there's like another nana thing right um yeah maybe i think akihiko is a nana name yeah um, I always think in particular of Akihiko in Persona, in Persona 3. Um, but. I'm um, looking it up, sorry. Yeah. I always want to say it instead of Akihiro. Um, um, well, nothing pops up on, on Google, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. There's somebody else who, like, dies towards the end as well, who um, shares some of the characters in Akatsuki. But, like, you know, characters in the name Akatsuki are are all over the people who died as well. So there's, like, a certain memorializing of that in the name. Hmm. Um, and then also the Dawn. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to say in the, like, some of the surprise, um, this, despite all the death flags with Megillus, um his death was still, I, I think you said it was a little bit surprising to you and was a little bit su- surprising to me. Um, and a thing that I was struck by this time, which I didn't think about the, or the other times I've seen this because I hadn't watched the original Gundam, uh, but specifically like them going out of the cockpits or, you know, out of their like mechs and like going through the halls uh, reminded me of the, the end of, you know, 0079 where, um, Shar and Amuro sort of, you know, break duel. out and, and have the duel and everything. Um, but then it's specifically being like, you know, in that uh, mild spoilers for, for Gundam, but I feel like most people who even know like universal century stuff, th- he's going to be in a, a later movie where he counterattacks. <laughs> That's like obvious to most people. Shar survives that. Well, Here, they're, the Shar analog does not. It could be another Shar thing. Could be another person yeah. named Shar. Yeah, it's actually uh, Kiara Soon's counterattack. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah. Oh, that movie would be great. I would love that. <laughs> I love Kiara Soon so much. Um, <laughs> ridiculous character, but I love her. Um, but yeah, that was another thing that I noted is like, there are a few things here that occasionally uh, reminded me of like specific scenes, and that was one of the big ones. Um so speaking of oh go ahead sorry oh no you can do i was just where it was like particularly then kind of surprising to get the and then one of them dies (laughs) yeah there's like no fight he just like yeah 
he's just like barely even, you know, moving forward. And then he like, as soon as the other guy like grabs him, he's just like the, the fight's over. Yeah. I also read some, uh, in what he was talking about in the, his like death that when he was talking about like part of his plan involves having to take out, um, Carta issue and, uh, guy Leo Baldwin. Um, and it's specifically like originally flamed, framed around like, so that he can like secure more power. But then this like recolors some of that as like him particularly being like believing in, uh, I have to be the individual to like seize power and so part of the process for me, like gaining power is that I have to like kill the two people who I consider friends. Like I have to, to make myself be the person who would do that, um, in order to like continue to, to get power. Like I have to like cut that weakness out. Um, which then obviously has it, it's like own parallels with, uh, the stuff with Almeria, which again is like, I think can be really thorny and, uh, sometimes the, the stuff around like Almeria, um, committing to this like traditional role given to her, um, is something I could see a lot of people balking at. Um, I think it's like deeply tragic that like, yeah, she is also this person who like has these very limited ways that she feels like she can approach the world. Um, and she's like stuck in the, she's also stuck in this like tradition in the way that, um mcgillis is also like adhering to these like traditional ideas of like oh whoever has bile rules and you know stuff like that um yeah and also like you know her being put in that position like the abuse of her like father you know marrying her to mcgillis or or whatever like putting her into his hands in that context yeah at that age um as like, okay, yeah, it's McGillis doing like this direct abuse to her, um, but also like, you know, this whole system yeah, that, that is like engineering enabling this, that, yeah, yeah, or even like engineering it, um, yeah, to like put her in this position. Um, yeah, I think some of the. I might be making it up, but I feel like last time or time before you said that you feel like there could be more like IBO that that you'd like to see. Um, cause there's just like so much yeah, going on. Yeah. Like part of me, not like necessarily beyond this ending, but rather like, uh, part of me wishes that like leading up this, to it, this could have been expanded out uh like this season in particular um to just give us more of like what other characters are doing including like kudelia like more of what's kudelia doing um you know various other like it would be great to see more development of some of the characters who by the end do feel significant um yeah and other characters who you think are going to be significant and then kind of fade away like hush yeah yeah i i did feel that um I guess maybe in a in a minute we can talk about like more generally our our feelings like good bad about uh the series but um I guess w- one of the like small number of things that I was frustrated with uh at the ending was like it just feels like there's a lot of loose ends 
um like and and almeria is one where like yeah oh like the last thing we see of almeria is this just like super brief scene where she's like doing this commitment to Megillus, like right before he dies and then it's it's almost like oh this is to like heighten the tragedy of Megillus's death or whatever yeah you know that she has like not forgiven him but that um you know maybe there's a possibility that you know whatever like i like i don't know i don't love this but like potentially like you know oh someone like loves him yada yada uh i feel like that's like when they're shoehorning that scene in right before he dies <laughs> i feel like that's kind of what that scene is doing and then yeah. it's like oh well almiria like the last thing we see from her is just like oh it's just this thing that really is all about mcgillis's character and yeah. then mcgillis dies we don't see like her reaction to that um yeah, we might get in the moment her also having the new type flash and saying, like, Maki or whatever. Yes, we, if we that do, happens. We do yeah. get that. You're right. But, like, but for you a know, sw- one second. Yeah. <laughs> Mika, Mika does the new type flash Orga and then also gets to, like, further react to Orga's death. Yeah. <laughs> but we just don't see, like, a lot of the, uh, I, I guess, like, uh, that kind of full like aftermath. Um, I don't really understand what is going on with Almeria. Like after all of this, you know, when we just yeah. never see it. Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like there's not much, like these episodes didn't give us much more to um, talk about with Almeria. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a, Cause, cause I think some of the way that they set stuff up is obviously like, uh, difficult. Um, but I, I think is like trying to approach it with some sensitivity and, and, uh, talk about things. And so that's also why it's disappointing that it like doesn't follow through on that particularly. Um, because it is like biting into something that is particularly thorny. Um, and so to have it kind of just drop it at the end, uh, you know, potentially for time and also using it like specifically just around McGillis's character um, is a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to malign the show because I, it's, a, yeah. I really do like, I think this is a really impressive show and I really liked it. Um, I think just like that in conjunction with like hush, for instance, where it's like, I don't know some of the uh, like, characters uh the the narrative wasn't like super fleshed out with them at the end and it was kind of like i don't want to say forgotten but feels a little forgotten or like you know just marginalized yeah um yeah and a lot of it is like there it is it is doing so much like this is the reason why i still really love this series is that i think um it takes a lot of swings. It's, it's doing a lot. Um, and there is like a, a lot of stuff that I think it does well. Um, absolutely. It's sometimes just like, uh, I think overly ambitious. Um, and I would rather things be overly ambitious than like not ambitious, you know? Yes. Agreed. 
Um, I would rather have it try a bunch of things and then fail some of them. Um, and like really try to do some interesting stuff rather than just kind of be a, like a middling anime. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Uh, there is stuff where I'm like, Oh, I just, I wish there was more or, um, that it shifted the focus a little bit differently or, you know, um, but when that's the kind of thoughts that I'm having about something, I'm like, okay, but I do like this if that's like how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. 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 You've Um, already given it a lot of credit. If you're like, you know, at the point where you're like, well, I wish it would have done more. Like, I want to see it do more with this. Yeah. Because that means you want to see it do more. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just being like, there's no fucking way this <laughs> this would be handled well. So I don't need more. Uh, whereas uh, Gundam Seed could, could honestly do less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like, uh, I mean, of course there's more that we could talk about. Uh but I think, I think for me, you know, we've hit some of the big stuff. Um, I guess uh, one takeaway thought for me, one thing that I liked is uh, I appreciate how this show is like, it's uh, very like uh, structural in terms of its thinking uh, about like certain um concepts uh like yeah you know like uh states and uh you know like societies and whatever um and i think that's one of the big like takeaways with mcgillis uh is that like he stands in opposition to so much of if i could distill an like a concatenation of themes from the show into like a, a an easy uh, bite-sized thing. Like the show is insisting on the importance of like uh, unities of people or like collectives. So like, yeah. you know, uh, whether it's like Gallerhorn, like Rustel, I feel like the show in in several ways affirms Rustel's <laughs> philosophy about like Gallerhorn, uh, yeah. being like, no, this is not about like you know one guy. This is a like about the history that's transpired and like the bureaucracy that you know constitutes this, and all of the people who are like constitute an organization right now and the bonds between people. Um, like, and then, you know, families like Tekadon, Turbines, um, it's like insisting again and again on the necessity for those things, um, not only to be like effective and potent as fighting forces or whatever, um, but also for like, you know, um, like the realization of like human life, um, and that, like, somehow, um, like, McGillis is, and then McGillis, like, stands in opposition to that. Um, and, you know, he's miscalculating <laughs> again and again because of that, because uh, he sees the world in this way of, you know, uh, that's, like, solitary uh, and obsessed with individual power, yada, yada. Um, and so then he's failing again and again, whether it's against Rustle. Uh, 
or like you know in comparison to to Tekadon. um and so i think that's that's one of the things the show is doing is being like you know uh pushing uh like against this kind of like reductive um uh i'll say monomaniacal again uh cuz i think yeah megillus also um is a character who who we can think of as like you know having this monomania um yeah. probably even more than orga <laughs> honestly um in his like uh, you know obsession and his like incredibly constrained uh worldview um but uh yeah all of that to say you know i uh as kind of like a final epitaph for megillus uh, and also a thing i appreciate about the show um is how it like thinks so much in terms of um like structures uh being things that like govern and enable our lives um and then also like you know structures entailing uh connections between people um and that yeah. like if you don't have that like not having that or not wanting that is like hostile to human life yeah um <clears throat> sort of relatedly too i i appreciate that um as like this being a gundam series um i i think it is a gundam series that like you you watch some stuff and you're like i don't know if this actually understands what like original tomino gundam is about and what it's doing um and i know you're like just starting to dip your toe into like the the au's you know the, yeah. the alternate universe alternate timelines working my way through g Gundam um, right now but like there there are some that like don't actually seem to like fully understand what um is happening with a lot of the themes in gundam um and then there's other shows that i think like do understand more um i just started watching gundam x which i know that the great gundam project really likes in particular because it's like one of at least to that point that they've watched it's like one of the only um alternate timelines that is like really directly talking at like new type is sad um and i've only seen like four episodes so far um but like right now it seems like more than any other thing in tomino gundam most focused on like new types and what does that mean mm-hmm. um this uh, you know ibo is like a a world without new types but i think it does um think a lot about like this other aspect of a lot of tomino shows including tomino gundam which is like the systems the way that like um ideology exists in a world and like influences people um and the way that like people exist within systems and, and their like thinking and their actions are uh, confined or like demarcated by the systems and the ideologies that they're like existing under. Um, I think this is a show that's like also deeply engaged with that kind of stuff and thinking about stuff of like, you know, space noid rights and all these sorts of things and like exploring it, but also in a way where it does like genuinely feel like they're doing their own take and not just trying to like, you know, replicate universal century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there is also 
in the theme of like family and the connections between people and like uh the value of the collective i think there is also this like less like uh overt but there is like a certain amount of engagement and ideas around new type as like the connections between people um and those sorts of things where it's not getting like demarcated as uh you know, special powers or like a, a new form of human or something, but it's still like engaging with those ideas of relationships and um, the connections that form between people, including like those who are dead and those who are alive and things like that. Um, and so I yeah. think in the end, while this is still a show that does not have new types, I think it is still thinking about some of those themes, um, even if it's doing it in like a different way. So, yeah. Um, and thinking about and that's, it and engaging with it so much that it ends up like wanting to do new type shit. With, yeah, like, at the very end. Yeah, <laughs> it can't. It's almost like they want to, and then they're like, "Oh no, we can't!" Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is why Tomino did this shit. Yeah, uh, we'll just have to do the the like slightly broader narrative trope of somebody thinking of the person who's dying while they die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they, they really want to get that like, uh, instrument to get the like, <laughs> you can feel it at the end. Yeah, for sure. A little new type sound. I forget what that instrument's called. And from, uh, from, you know, great Gundam project, uh, has it on their desk. So they can make the sound at any time. I wish I had it. Oh, I that's wish I could awesome. make it right now. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, there's something else I was going to say in in all of that but it, i've i've forgotten it for right now um well, oh i the thing i was gonna say is that's also part of why i really like this is that um i think doing a uh gundam series that both feels like uniquely your own but also engaged with like what gundam is is a, is a difficult needle to thread mm, um yeah i think like a lot of uh alternate timeline stuff like falls under the weight of having to do Gundam um, that like directors like who, who are working on those series sometimes seem to like be scared or hesitant or not like, like it's just like a heavy weight to carry um, because you have to like engage with all of these things, but you also want to like make your mark and you know, a, yeah. it feels like it would be a lot of pressure. To There's make so a much series. to grapple with and just <laughs> yeah. like to me though, Gundam. Um, it's like, how the fuck do I respond to this? Yeah. And I, I feel like IBO just does a lot of that stuff well, which is, you know, I appreciate, um, as someone who's now becoming deeply Gundam brained. (laughs) So, yeah, agreed. Uh, but yeah, the excellent, excellent show. Um, yeah, I'm sure that we'll have more. Do we want to close out and talk a little bit about Julieta's final take on Tachadon? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so I do think this is an interesting thing. Um, and it's one where, I mean, time has happened in between. Um, but it, I also think there's like this, this is interesting for how much the, the show has been like, um, once again, I'm getting a, a cat breaking in, uh, for how much the show has been, I think, um, you know, talking about this idea of like the inhuman and dehumanization, um, I think in the end is like, is trying to make the statement of like, uh, the people who are dehumanized are still humans. Um, this like dehumanization process is happening to humans. Um, and I think 
the way I read it is Julieta having that certain, like, is recognizing the way that she was, like, leaning into dehumanizing herself, but that, that sh- she was still, like, being a human in that, and then also recognizing the way that, like, Tekadon was being dehumanized, um, but that that's, like, a, an actual, that's, like, a process that is taking something, is trying to take something away from them that they actually just have. Um, so I don't know if you had a different read on this, but that's kind of what I, what I was reading into this, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is, um, you know, it, this is, uh, I think we've kind of talked about this in the prior discussions, but, um, with Tekadon, uh, it's a, a group of people who like, you know, as you're saying, have been uh, positioned on like, you know, uh, the, the margins of like the social system um, and like, you know, dehumanized in this, in these various ways. Um, so the fact that they have to like fight and, and do these things, um, which is perceived by like, you know, hegemonic, forces as inhuman um like is in fact them like asserting their humanity um yeah i think this is just a different version of of what you're what you're saying um but like fighting to live um to have like you know a, a decent life uh and to like survive uh and have the people you love survive which is like you know ultimately i think how julieta understands Tekadon. Um, like that is the essence of humanity, uh, and not, you know, um, like these, uh, like these imposed, uh, like, you know, moral frameworks, uh, such as the, you know, Gellarhorn, uh, moral framework around, you know, um, like, oh, yeah, if you well, have yeah, body modifications, system, you're in Yeah, body modification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that like, oh, you know, this is something that, that Julieta was like fully bought into. Uh, and this is like, this is what defined her, uh, ideas of like humanity and inhumanity. Um, you know, but I think now, uh, yeah. she's and like, she, and she still has this like strong belief in like humanity as like the important thing to hold on to, but it's like shaken off that, um, the definition of it has changed. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's like shaking off that, that idea of like the purity of the body being the thing. Yeah. Um, and Gileo yeah. as well, uh, seemingly like agreeing to all of this in, in the moment. Yeah. Um, um, which obviously also makes sense to some extent with like the, the stuff with Ayn and Gileo also like to some degree leaning into the forbidden technology and things. Um, you know, um, yeah, it. I, I think there are definitely some unresolved tensions at the end of IBO. Um, yeah, that, and and that's part of what like makes it such a um, intriguing ending. Uh, but this is another. I don't know if hopeful is the exact right word, um, but having like Galileo and Julieta. And Julieta specifically stated to be like perhaps the next leader of Gallarhorn. Um 
like seemingly having like a great deal of empathy <laughs> and understanding uh for like what Tekadon is or represented. Um, even as like the Gallarhorn regime has, you know, paved over Tekadon in this in these ways. Um seems to be an, you could read it at least as like um an indication that you know the paving over has not entirely succeeded um and that there's yeah. hope for like the meaning of this uh in some form to be like carried forward um yeah even as like you know all of the reforms can be seen and like read in this cynical way um and like oh you know it's just uh the reassertion of the <laughs> the uh ruling regime um there's still like some granularity in here uh that you know we have to to grapple with yeah um anyway i thought that would be a nice way to end it out so <laughs> i agree uh and we'll uh, have more in the question bucket i i feel like after thinking about this for few weeks we'll probably have some more thoughts yeah or maybe we'll just talk uh, about you know g gundam <laughs> <laughs> um victory gundam yeah that too yeah uh oh did i met i did finish victory gundam i'm all done with it now i assume so, that you did last time you yeah. texted me about it you were like getting close yeah um i thought maybe i would have to finish it after my my um trip to montreal but um you know in the hotel with the hotel wi-fi i was able to stream from my uh completely legal uh personally you know i own the blu-rays and and ripped them myself to plex uh successfully streamed to canada your family Um, must have been like you're like you're watching ibo and like crying multiple times and then you're also watching the end of victory gundam like why are you doing this on our vacation (laughs) well it was specific because we have a toddler so we have to like be back for toddler bedtime and then like you know one of us like might go out to like the grocery store nearby to like get some you know oh let's get some like canadian candy or whatever but like you can't just like leave your toddler sleeping alone in a hotel room sure um so uh, it's not like we were like on vacation and like going out to the bar at night or something. So, yeah. um, and we were, we were pretty tired. So we were kind of just like, cause like we climbed a mountain one day and stuff. So we would get oh, back. And then, yeah. Um, Beautiful. And so we, we, uh, would get back to the hotel room and, you know, get the toddler to bed. Um, and then just be like sort of chilling and hanging out. Um, and then usually like. Emily just tends to sleep more than me. I think she just like needs more sleep than me. So she usually goes to bed first and then I would like watch an episode of something or two episodes or, you know, um, so. Gotcha. That's how it happened. But yeah. Understandable. Not, yeah. It's just not everyone consumes like an immense amount of tragedy on their vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was also just like watching it like with my headphones on on my little uh, tablet, so I didn't even bring my laptop. Um, so yeah, well, we'll have to. That will be a long conversation when we finally talk about Victory Gundam, like with you having yeah. finished it. So, we'll uh, save boy, that for how do some gender happens? Yeah, it does. 
<laughs> Moms, am I right? Yeah, they're uh, got a lot of feelings uh, about them. I did. I did watch the ending, and I was like, "Oh yeah, the sh- the showrunners for IBL love victory." <laughs> oh yeah, no question. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I yeah, I, I love victory too. But I have conflict. I've got like a lot of feelings about it. Um, yeah, but I think it's. I think it's like. Um, they don't all make me feel good, but yeah, it's a, it's. I still think it's a great show. I think it's one of the the messiest Tomino Gundam that I've watched. Um, Zeta might be up there. Like Zeta is also like messy, but in a different way. Um, where, yeah, there's just like weird stuff with Zeta where I think it's like deeply hard to follow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, whereas victory is like very easy to follow, but uh, then the the themes get real messy, and yeah. I find that more interesting. So, yeah, it's easy to follow, but it's like kind of not actually. Yeah. <laughs> it gets very there's hard the part to follow. Where there's like a whole quickly. civil war that happens off screen, <laughs> <laughs> and you just yeah. kind of got to be aware of is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just introduced suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, um, this is an IBO anyway. episode. <laughs> We're talking about IBO. Anyway, uh, if you want to send us emails about Iron Blooded Orphans or, I guess, Victory Gundam, you can send them to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Um, when you are listening to this, uh, we will be back uh, with that question bucket episode in two weeks. We'll be recording it in approximately one week. My guess is we'll be doing it the the Saturday. So uh, let me look at the, the schedule here. I forget when this episode's coming out. Um, or actually I can, I can check our, I have a little like recording schedule thing in our, we have a discord for this. Um, that'll be the more accurate. So June 3rd, that's when we were going to record this podcast. We record, uh, in the evening. So that's sort of the cutoff point. Um, I'll have that in the like episode description as well. Um, and if we, if we end up having to change it, we will, but, um, especially when it's just the two of us, we, we're pretty good at being consistently Saturday evenings. So, uh, get your, get your emails in. Um, we'll see that we could get a big question bucket. I don't know if we will, but I'd love that. Yeah. Otherwise Uh, you're gonna, you'll you'll force me to talk about, uh, dynasty warriors Gundam reborn. I've not played that. (laughs) I haven't played it yet, but I, I have acquired it. Uh, I played the like original dynasty warriors. Well, to, to be fair, I don't know which one I played. There was, like, two of them. I played one on PS3, like, years ago. And then at some point last week, remembered that it existed. Uh, yeah. So now I have required... I have got... I have acquired this one, uh, which is, like, a remake, I guess. Um, so don't make me do it. Don't make me talk about that on the question bucket. Yeah. Send in where 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 can people send their emails, Connor? Uh ghost ghost at gmail.com. So send them ghost diverspod at gmail.com. Ghost diverspod at gmail.com. Um just say it multiple times. Ghost diverspod at gmail.com. Yeah. Um please send in emails. We will but if not to steal GGP's bit a little bit, but uh if people want to I'm not going to do full suit rankings, but if people want to tell me like their favorite like two or three suits and their least favorite suit, feel free to do that. Um You've already in your email. We we cannot steal any more GGP bits. 
I'm out on this. But they don't do suit rankings anymore, so we can take that one. Okay. Because <laughs> they get too many emails now, so they don't take people's suit rankings anymore. Got it. Well, if you get the appropriate clearance for this, then then we, we can do it. I'm saying people can send us their suit rankings. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm, just, I'm making unilateral action once again. Okay, that's fine. I'll... Yeah. I, and not complicit you're, in this. You're, you're disavowing this. Yeah, I'm disavowing it. Uh, I'm fine if I'm fine if M's mad at me. <laughs> uh, that works. I prefer. Yeah. F- I yeah. I prefer for M to not to be mad at me. But uh, if it happens because of actions taken by you, then that uh, you know you'll take the blame. I trust you will. Yeah, that's our promise. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, if you like this podcast, you can go support the network at exportaud.io. That will take you to the Patreon, uh, where you can find links to like all of the podcasts on the network. Um, there, there. I think Mortar Movie Night might be Patreon only, but if people want to hear like, um, the Bag End Book Club people watching through like the Lord of the Wing, Lord of the Rings movies, um. That's the thing you get there. You get bonus episodes of coffee and comic books. Um, if you're a $1 patron, you get early access to a bunch of shows. Not this one, but other ones. Um, yeah. Just various stuff like that. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna call it three shows in particular. Uh, one is Pondering Putan. Uh, if you go to exportaudio slash Putan, you will find links to, to how to get that. Um, that's you and me, Connor. Um, what? we're reading through, really? yeah, we're reading through Kamari <laughs> High School, uh, at the I same forgot. rate that it was published. I forgot about in, that one. Yeah. Uh, and the same rate that it was published in the weekly, uh, you know, magazine in Japan. Um, and then sometimes we talk about it. Uh, the other gimmick, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, they sure go long. Uh, we have a 30 minute timer. And when we get to the end of the 30 minutes, I have to rush through these plugs a lot faster than I've been doing these ones. So, um, that's always the fun, other fun gimmick. Um, you can also go listen to ornate stairwells. I do that with my friend autumn. Uh, it is a movie podcast. Um, you can find it at exportodio slash, uh, ornate stairwells. Um, and then we've mentioned M a number of times, um, M from great Gundam project and abnormal mapping. Uh, I do a podcast with, uh, them called around the long fire. We, we read Icelandic sagas, talk about them <clears throat> for about half the runtime. Uh, and then the other half, since I've been watching a lot of Gundam, we mostly talk about Gundam. Um, they, they recently accused me of tricking them into doing a second Gundam podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find that at abnormalmapping.com slash longfire. Um, you can follow the show at Ghost Divers Pod or uh, on Twitter or at Ghost Divers and co-host. You can find me at Fox Omnia. Basically anywhere like Twitter, co-host, um, Annie List, Letterboxd, um, all those. If I have an account, it's probably Fox Omnia. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me at Rabelais on Twitter or co-host. Yeah. See all your great posts. Yep. I'm just cranking them out. Every um, day. I've rambled enough where I'm tired and tripping over words, so I think we're done here. Yeah. For now. Till the question bucket. 
see you then, dear listener. GhostSaverSpot at gmail.com. GhostSaverSpot at gmail.com. Bye.
I'm now recording. Let's do a time.is real quick. Okay. Just get that out of the way. Uh let's wait for the 48th minute. <laughs> okay. And then and then I'll tell I'll uh, yeah, I'll tell you okay. the time after. Okay. Uh 11. Okay. My wow, you really making me wait for this one. Yeah, I wanted to get it right though. I knew that if we if we really timed it out, we would we'd nail it. And we did. Uh I I feel like my clap was strong. Like the sound of it was really good. So Yeah. I you have the, um, it's it's timing was like fine. It was like my normal timing. You know, but <laughs> in terms of like the sound, I feel like I got a really good slap. <laughs> I I'm not serious about this because I know it would be like a lot of work for very little satisfaction but it would be funny to get like a super cut of all of our claps <laughs> and then just like you know rate them not all of them but like pull like the top three yeah. and then rate the figure out when we like what's the best clap we've done on Ghost the Stars. thing is at, at this point a number of them i only have like the merge together so it would have to be like this the clap in the file of like both of us clapping you know yeah yeah and then the best is still going to be the one when kb was on yeah because kb's clap was just the best clap that has ever been on sonic this boom yeah <laughs> <laughs> um very good clap um anyway do, do we want to when we get uh, to the podcast, talk about the thing, or do we want it to be in this post ED segment? The thing being, uh, the thing that I knew about <laughs> Iron Blooded Orphans before I watched a single episode. Um, did we? We made reference to the thing on the main podcast last time, right? At yeah, like we the did. end. So then we should do it in the main podcast. We shouldn't. Yeah, it we shouldn't be well, ED. Yeah, I think we can just ad- address it like right at the very beginning before we go to sy- through the synopses. Maybe is yeah. like the best. Okay, yeah. Um. Anyway, I don't have too much else. I I had a busy day today. Uh, in that I was driving a lot with a toddler, um, because uh my kid and I had haircuts. I still get my haircut by my stylist in Madison, Wisconsin. Um which is a bit of a drive for me, uh, but I, I just like them a lot. Um, 
like also one they're just good at cutting my hair but then also i i am like friends with them so um it's always nice to like go up and like briefly Catch see them up. and talk about movies and stuff uh that's the biggest thing we do is we talk about movies because we both like movies a lot so um i got my hair cut today as well but i didn't yeah, so, go to wisconsin for it um I got it fairly short, a little bit shorter than like maybe the next time I'm not going to go quite this short, but I do like going short when I'm like, or like, you know, like on average, I would say I would get two haircuts a year and one is like going into the summer and that's where I'm going to have like more of the significant cutting off because it's just going to be really hot, like having hair on my neck and stuff. Um, and then there's another one sort of going into the winter where it's just like, uh, I just need like trim and maintenance and stuff. So... This yeah. will be the one where like people will see me and be like, "Oh wow," um, and then you I'm getting my yeah, and then I'm getting my like pink under dye redone uh, in three weeks. Um, I'm gonna record the Chrono Cross episode of Abnormal Mapping, um, and then like immediately leave to go get my hair dyed. So. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. That'll also be a, a busy day, but I, I'm not driving to Madison for that one. It's a four-hour process, so. Mm. Not, like, always, but, like, that's how much they, ha- like, have you book, you know? And then if you use less time, you don't, like, I think there's, like, some sort of prorating thing that happens, but. How long is um, the uh, is the drive to Madison? Did you say two hours? Um, yeah, I would say it's about two hours. It, it can, like, bad. vary a little bit. Um but yeah, that would be my, my rough estimate. Okay. Um, and it, it also varies more significantly when you have a toddler. Cause it's just like, how many stops am I going to have to take? Um, so, but we actually, <coughs> yeah. we only, we only did one stop each way. Um, and both times it was like pretty close to the beginning. Uh, when we were going up, I had a coat that I had like ordered online. Um, and it just didn't fit right. And so I wanted to return it. But um, you had like paid to mail it in or you could drop it off at a, a store. So we like stopped at the store, um, which is Duluth Trading Company, which is like outside of Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. So and then when we were coming back, um, I wanted to like get some food and just it's become like kind of just a tradition that we have like Culver's as our like general road trip food nice um and so uh stopped at the world's largest culvers they they proudly advertise this um in wisconsin is that so okay yeah 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 is it from wisconsin i would expect so with like the cheese curds yeah yeah i think it's from wisconsin um that would be my guess it's it's very uh yeah uh prairie du sac I'm sure that there's like a more French way to say it, but I'm also sure that the, the people of Wisconsin say Prairie du Sac. <laughs> um, there's a Culver's. I actually still have never eaten Culver's. There is one by my work um, that I, like I occasionally remember Culver's and I'm like, oh, I should go to the one by my work and try it. Uh, <laughs> and then I forget again. Uh, yeah. So I'm kind of on that cycle. Um, uh, maybe one day today I was kind of feeling a burger. So I got a butter burger, which they are pretty good. Um, they're not like 
that notably different than a lot of other fast food burgers to me. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I go to fast food, I will get like whatever spicy chicken thing they have like yeah. as a sandwich. Um, which is why like Popeye's is fantastic. It's like one of my favorite fast food. Generally. Yeah. They've got the best one. The yeah. best chicken I, sandwich. I basically n- never get fast food like in Chicago. I'm just, I, I'm not a person who like, uh, craves fast food or like thinks about it in the way that I think some other people do. Um, like no shade to people who live in the city and get fast food, but like, it's like easier for me to just go get like, you know, Mexican food from like the local Mexican restaurant or like, Oh, I know the uh, one you're talking about. Shawarma or since you've been like, I think since the last time you visited or maybe it was here, but we just, we didn't go cause we only saw each other briefly, but, um, there's a, a shawarma place that's like right by that Mexican place now. And it's really good as well. Oh, nice. uh, and so it's like all of those are like literally like I walk like five minutes, you know, like I just yeah. like walk a couple blocks and there's just like really good food. Um, but there is pretty close to me a Popeye's and I do just like the Popeye's like spicy fried chicken sandwich. Um, and so that is like the one fast food that I feel like I just like get. There's also a Culver's really close to me, but I just I never like get Culver's. In Chicago. It's just like a specifically while I'm traveling thing. So. Um, yeah. I don't typically. I get. Um, Raisin Cane's, which I don't know. I, I don't think it's in Chicago. It's more of yeah, like a. It, it, there might be like one or something, but yeah, I. Um, you've got a lot here and I get. I'm familiar with when it. When I'm getting fast food, I normally. Yeah. I normally get that. Uh, but whenever I'm on a road trip. That's like it. That's like my yeah, there's time. A few, for, there's for a few raising canes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's very good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I always hit Wendy's. I I have like the same. Most of my road trips are road trips I do like repeatedly. Yeah. Um, so I've got the route to North Carolina, and I've got the route to Atlanta, and then Chicago as well. Yeah, um, the North yeah, we Carolina. We have the route to Madison and the route to like where Emily and I's parents live. So because yeah. they live like fairly like a half hour away. So yeah, so the North Carolina one because that's my mom. Uh, that's when I go like way uh, most frequently, and I stop at the same Wendy's uh, every single time uh, in like Central Kentucky. Um, a little bit south of Lexington because it's like for an hour into the drive and I'm normally just like I need that boost of you know whatever the correct correct hormone I'm in is uh dopamine uh yeah. you know whatever I just want to go ahead and like get my stomach full get that dopamine hit from the Wendy's uh and then I can enjoy like the rest of the drive um, I also stock up with like drinks and, you know, candy, whatever else I'm going to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just like get all of that about an hour into the drive and then I'm good for like five hours. Um, uh, except for like bathroom breaks, obviously. Yeah. I feel like the only like road trip that I did, like, uh, not like constantly, but I did a number of times and where I didn't have like a, a really clear, like, this is just where we stop. Um, cause like, 
a lot of the other ones, it's like, here's the stopping point. But is when I would drive from Michigan down to, to Savannah, God, uh, Georgia, yeah. to go to SCAD. Um, and that was just because it's like such a long drive and you don't really know like where you exactly are. how yeah and you don't know exactly when you're gonna be like running low like it's long enough that like you want to like gauge your stops around gas uh and around bathroom as much as you can do you uh, go down you the... want you want like gas and bathroom to coincide as much as possible yeah. so did you go um, down the east coast for that or down through like ohio and then cut across um yeah i would usually i would usually go like Basically all the way east and then all the way south in Ohio. On 95. Oh, okay. Yeah. In Ohio. Yeah. That was the... Yeah. Ohio was the worst part of the drive for two reasons. One is that I just feel like Ohio police officers... I never got like pulled over, but they're just like way more intense around speeding stuff. Um, and so like you just like have to be like... I feel like there's a lot of parts of the, of the country where it's just like five over is the standard. Uh, if you're not doing that, like people are just constantly passing you and you like, like feel Indiana where yeah. you can just drive through like the entirety of Indiana and never see a cop on the highway. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, it's just like a lot of places it's like, you just like go five over or else you like actually feel slightly less safe because you just have like people zipping around you constantly. Yeah. Um, and you get to Ohio and it's like, you, you have to go to speed limit. I, I feel like, uh, especially on like those main ones. I think also they're like particular, like th this is all complete rumor, but like if you have like, uh, out of state plates, they're like also more likely, likely to pull you over. Uh, um, hmm. So, um, yeah, this is surprised. all stuff that I got from my dad. So maybe it's not true, but, uh, my dad <laughs> drove through Ohio Michigander. a lot. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, also it's just like th the views are not particularly exciting going through Ohio. There's some parts where there's like some cool forest use, but a lot of it is just like kind of plains. Um, yeah. Farmland. Farmland. Yeah. It's very uh, flat. And especially compared to after I got out of Ohio, I would start going into like uh, the mountains. Like I would like literally like go up and down like massive mountain at one point. Because you, so. you go to Tennessee and then you would go like through the Carolinas, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once you, once you go through like East Tennessee into Western North Carolina, that's like you're yeah. in the Smoky Mountains. Then it gets and this fun. was – this is before uh, Google Maps was really a thing. This is before like GPS on your phone. Oh, so I it was like printing out. Yeah, it was like printing out MapQuest stuff. So it was even more like me just looking at the signs, being like, "Where's my gas level at?" Like, um, once you get into the mountains, it's like it tells you how many miles until the next gas station as well. So like watching the signs a lot more than I do now. Yeah. Um, now I don't like look at the signs of what's on the side of the, you know, what's at the stop. Um, and there was just so much more of that whenever it'd be getting around, like I would need to gas up or, uh, you know, around time to eat and stuff. And I, I was often again, trying to get all of those to coincide. So that like, hopefully you're stopping to get gas and go to the bathroom. And if it's like around a meal time, you're also getting a meal all at once so that you're not like, making lots of stops. Um, so, uh, and yeah, truly just like following the signage of like how to get places. So, um, yeah. anytime it's... I stopped in the mountains, it was the, like occasionally you would find fast food, but it was, it was very often just like uh mom and pop truck stop vibes. Yeah. At least yeah, at yeah. the time. So there's, there's a part of the drive back from, uh, cause my mom lives like 
outside of Asheville, but it's like basically yeah. Asheville area. Um, and going like back home, uh, once you like get on the highway and you're, you're going down, I can't remember if it's 64 or, or what, but, um, you're like going West into Tennessee. There's a stretch where it's like 40, 50 miles where you're just like, you like don't need gas <laughs> like at any point in the stretch because uh there's really not like a lot of gas stations um and if there is it's like you get off and then you drive like a windy road for a couple miles to get to it yeah um it it can get pretty pretty remote <laughs> on that stretch uh, but you know, those are the I things like, that you, you learn where you, when you drive it constantly. Yeah. I feel like, um, Google maps is not even giving me the like route that MapQuest did. Oh, back because in the I'm day. sure it has like actually better information, but there's probably like way more. It's the other thing I was trying to avoid was lots of needing to change between, um, interstates and stuff because especially when you don't have like a gps or anything uh you just have to be really on the ball and if you like mess up you can you know be way behind uh, so i think i would go i would go down 69 which is just a great road number hold on hold on um, i'm get up to you where, where was your starting point uh so usually occasionally i would go all the way from um Marquette and go down, but usually I would like plan it where I, one of my stops was Marshall, and I, that's where my parents lived at the time. Um, and I would like you know spend the night there and then leave like very early in the morning. Um, Marshall, like Michigan. Oh, okay, gotcha. So if you go from Marquette, uh, there's like just some roads. Usually, uh, if you look at it, like there's a road that kind of goes south from Marquette. I think I usually took that one where you're like going towards Escanaba and then I would do the one on the, the underneath, like the lower one, which is, let me look, zoom in and see if I can find. So you would yeah, go through so, like Cincinnati, Lexington. Yeah. Well, so I do 41 and then 22, this is, or uh, 41 and 20, this or 41 and two. These are the ones in, in the uh, upper peninsula because there's no expressways up there. Uh, and then I would take 75 down um, until... Through Toledo. Um, yeah, let me look. So when I would take 75 down, I think there is a way that I got to like 69. Like I took some, maybe 127 down to Lansing and then 69 to Marshall. Um, if I was bypassing it, I would take 75 uh, down and then there was something I did to like route around Detroit a little bit so I didn't have to get quite into the heart of it uh, so I'd kind of like go through Ann Arbor more mm -hmm. um, and then yeah either way Toledo because if I was going from Marshall I would go down 69 and then on uh, 90 east of Toledo uh, and so either way I would meet up with 90 there um, and then go across yeah and then east. I basically took 90 I think in Cleveland is where I, I may have transferred over to something. Um, like 77. Yeah. I think I, I did 77 and then you can take 77 really far. 
So that was the one that I just like lived on for a while. Yeah, you basically take that all the way down to Columbia, and then that's when you when you take okay. a few different ones to get to Savannah. Yeah, that's so that's interesting because that's like that's Eastern Ohio, which is uh, quite a bit different from Western Ohio, which is yeah. what I was expecting you would. I mean, that's that's remote. Like Eastern Ohio is extremely um, yeah rural. Yeah. Um, I mean, once I got on 77, it was like very smooth sailing. That was the the nice part. Yeah. I mean, I would expect you're, you're not going to, it's not going to be very crowded. <laughs> yeah. Cause once you get through like Cleveland and, uh, Akron, you're, you're just like, there's not like big cities that you're like running into until you get to Charlotte, yeah. you know? And yeah. so you're just not hitting like city, uh, interstate traffic, um, so yeah, it was extremely just like a lot of truckers and me and like bikers and stuff. Um, so, I mean, obviously there was other people traveling on it, but I I felt like the especially that long you kind of like uh, continue to see the same people. Even if you like stop, they'll stop, and then you like run into each other again on the road. Yeah, we're um, all just like driving the same fucking long ass drive. Yeah. And like you'd you- start recognizing and like kind of like waving or something, you know. There was one time where I didn't like really talk to them or something, uh, but I had been doing that for a little bit, and then I stopped to eat, and I had like, I think just passed some bikers, and then they like pulled up, and then there was like the like nod, you know, recognition. Oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite uh, move. Yeah, um, but. I've I've somehow I I was realizing this today because I did it to somebody, and I was like, the somehow I just like, in the same way that maybe someone around you starts using like a certain phrase or a word, and then you know you're talking with them a lot, and then you notice it like creeps into your vocabulary, and then you start yeah. saying it a lot, and then it becomes like more set in as a pattern, so you just like adopt it as part of your becomes a, ha- a habitual <laughs> uh like you know phrase for you to use uh yeah. the head nod has like become a strong habit for me uh whenever i'm like just in any number of situations cuz i think it's very versatile yeah. so uh and it's like low commitment you know it's uh unintrusive uh low commitment which i think like in most of these situations that's kind of what people want it's like hey it's friendly acknowledging your presence uh but like neither one of us wants to to exchange words or anything yeah um, there's a i've had to go to trade shows a number of times for work and there's like a, a modified version of it for trade shows which is specifically the nod and then immediately avert your eyes and look elsewhere <laughs> Um, and like, yeah. you, you have to do this at trade shows to be like friendly, because if you don't immediately avert your eyes after the nod, then they then think you, you are, it is like, them. we're at a trade show and we need to do business now. Yeah. 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 You're inviting like, if at just even a split second too long and you're like communicating the wrong thing. Yeah. And it's, it almost becomes this thing that, and like other people will do it to you as well of like. You almost like accidentally made eye contact and you just have to acknowledge it with like a slight friendliness, but yes. that also like very clearly I'm going to look away now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to like have a whole interaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, 
people don't want to, if you don't want to interact, most people don't want to sell it to you. Some people will, but most people don't. So right. yeah, I think yeah. most people appreciate it. Yeah. I like acknowledge um, you that, that like, this is not a hostile interaction. Like this is a peaceful interaction. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like, there's not going to be any further interaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, see, it really, it's a great move. It really communicates yeah. a lot. Um. Anyway, I also went to Montreal, but we'll probably talk about that on Bhutan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would be a good time because we've already <laughs> talked about God knows what for 20 minutes. Yeah, we should get into the podcast, maybe, unless you have something you want to bring up. No, I'm, I'm good. Was your haircut good? Did you have a good haircut? Let me just I ask you I think so. Yeah. Okay. I feel that it was good. Others yeah. may disagree. Sir, <laughs> 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 Sarah liked it. My uh, well, my good. my stylist said it was good, so, <laughs> so that you know. What about you? Uh, I'm I I like it. It's yeah, always okay. like I'm the kind of uh. I get the same thing every time. Well, that's my aspiration. Like same exact thing every time, but there is like within that there's a little bit of drift. I feel like so yeah. over like a period of. You maybe you can like uh you know uh corroborate this having known me for a number of years now. <laughs> uh but like if you have like my look over the course of ten years, there is probably like quite a bit of change. Yeah. But over that time I'm basically just like attempting to get the same haircut every time. So it, there's yeah. just like a drift that happens. You have you have Zach's hair, but dark, <laughs> darker than Zach's. Yeah, uh, and then a black or gray shirt and black pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much the outfit. <laughs> um, although I mean, I'm getting a I'm getting a good amount of gray uh, in here now, so mm. you know. So starting... making making the gray shirt even more like pop a little bit extra. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm getting a, a like a good amount of gray hair that's like uh so like surprising me with how quickly it's uh, it's coming on. Um which I, I don't mind in the slightest, but uh yeah. at first it was just like one sideburn uh started having like visible gray hair. Now that yeah. sideburn is like almost completely gray. Uh and then like throughout my beard, there's a pretty good, um, like smattering of gray, and I can just yeah. tell because like the light glint- glints off of it differently. Um, yeah. So they get like lost in in the black, but um, again, it's one of those things again. Like you can tell. Like I look at my face every day, so I can just tell. Like oh, there's more shiny, yeah. shiny you know glints in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately I have Zach's hair, uh, and it's a little, it's like less, uh, I think it's shorter and more like restrained now. Mm. Last time I saw you, it had been a while since I had a haircut. So yeah, you saw it like long. Um, typically nowadays I wear it like a little bit shorter than that, but yeah. It's still, I have to acknowledge that it's a fair comparison. 
Um, well, with that, shall we get into the podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, okay. Do you want to take a quick body break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hello. Hey. Okay. <clears throat> Wait one second. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Um, okay. There's a thing I'm like vaguely looking into, but. Okay, what take is your time. This iron, what is this iron armored warriors? Oh, what? Oh, it's like a fanfic? I think so. How did you come upon it? Um, looking up Akatsuki. Ah. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it's a fanfic. Um, it's just weird because this thing just still describes it as a TV series, but then this... it's like written by Zombie Astaroth. <laughs> um. Wait. Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans G? No. Um, I wanted to look into that because I saw a thing that talked about that, but it was separate from like the normal IBO thing. Uh, and it like m- mentioned a, another Gatlarhan War uh, where like Akatsuki is a main character. Uh, and it even like... It's different if this is just a... a um, you know, fanfic thing that if it's actually official, but it's still very bleak to me to think about Akatsuki just like getting into a Gundam and piloting it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. after, yeah, the way that IBO ends. Yeah, um, I'm sure, like, I think IBO has performed fairly well, um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if. Like, I forget if there's been some announcement that they're going to work on something else in the universe. Um, I feel like there was, like, some. But I don't know if that that was, like, a phone game. You know, Japan-only phone game or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember vaguely hearing about something like that at one point. And being oh, like, well. Yeah, Iron-Blooded Orphans G. It seems like it's a phone game. Okay. Yeah. And then there's, like, a manga where... I think in the manga, I heard that you see, like, at least briefly, Akatsuki as a teen or something. Like, it, like, goes a little bit further. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true, but... um, Yeah. But, like, I'm sure if they did something that was, like, set after the events of this, there would still be robots fighting and stuff. Uh, And, like, the the world still having war and combat and everything is fine to me, but specifically, like, Akatsuki being a a Gundam pilot is just too sad for me. Yeah. (laughs) I I would hate that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, me too. But... Apparently that fanfic writer thought it was great. Anyway, we should get back into the episode. <laughs> yeah, let's try um, it.